to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and of course, your favorite part, the funny stuff. Uh, I'm Andrea Renee, joined by somebody murmuring during my opening. Who was it? Was it Brittany Brombacher? I got to play Resident Evil. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just going to do that until you think so. talk about it? Yeah, I'm just going to be like bubbling up until the third segment. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to be talking about something, some news piece. You're going to be like, but I got to play Resident Evil. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Christine Steiber is also here. <laughs> oh, hello. Hi. Okay. Um, so we, so well, well, let's just go ahead and address uh, the elephant in the room. So Brittany, of course, is <laughs> overflowing with excitement about the Resident Evil 2 <laughs> remake. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast on release day, of course, Friday, January 25th, you know that the game is finally out and you can try it for yourselves because I know that Brittany is going to have copious amounts to say about it. It won't be appearing in the hands-on segment as it normally would. Instead, we are dedicating the entire third segment to talk about Resident Evil <laughs> 2. I've ever wanted in life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to like make segments. some popcorn before so that I can sit and chill while she talks. Uh, I don't know how many words I'm actually gonna say. I might just grunt a lot, but either way, I'll get you my know, points across. I appreciate a good grunt. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Simon. <laughs> Um, We expect lots of grunting, but also lots of discussion because I also played and it was my very first time playing Resident Evil 2. So it'll be interesting to ask you some questions and kind of discuss it from a newcomer's perspective like mine. And of course, a seasoned veteran as you are, Miss Brittany. Um, But it's going to be a little bit before we get to that because we have lots of other games that we have been playing. Mostly I've been going to a ton of preview (laughs) events because there's a lot happening in the next couple of months in the world of video game releases, which is very exciting, of course. But uh, we do have a little bit of housekeeping. I want to remind you guys, if you are part of our Patreon community, first off, thank you so much. Uh, We rely on you guys to keep the production of What's Good Games going, and we love and appreciate all the support you give us. We hope you're taking advantage of your benefits. We see that many of you are not, and we would like to encourage you to go to patreon.com slash what's good games, check out the secret segment, check out the Patreon uh, exclusive videos, the vlogs that we're doing, um, Brittany's fanfic, I believe. The first episode is up now. Uh, I was a clusterfuck, but I did make the video about it. The, the cluster. <sighs> the, yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened? You just see. you lost steam in your explanation there. I'm just going to have some whiskey. <laughs> She's just going to have some whiskey. Is this um, what we but, can expect during the Resident Evil <laughs> hands-on where you're just like, she I, just, I just, she just have sighs a lot. And grunt and sip some whiskey. Grunt and sip some whiskey. Yeah. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'll translate yeah. well, for you. <laughs> yeah. um, hopefully you'll do more than just grunt, but in case you missed it, <laughs> There's um there's lots of great uh, rewards that you guys can take advantage of, and we really hope that you do. Um, we are 
eyeing February 23rd as our happy hour Q&A and our after hours left stream for the month of February because uh, both Brittany and I have some extensive travel coming up, My, myself in particular. I'm going to be out of the country and then going straight to the DICE Summit, of course, the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, where I'll be leading a roundtable. If you're interested in finding out about all of the other roundtable leaders, because they announced the final batch of them this week, interactive.org is the website. And there's lots of really amazing industry leaders. And somehow I wormed my way in there. <laughs> so, um, oh, it'll you. be really fun. I'm excited about it, but it does mean that we're going to be getting some awesome guest stars on the show. Miss Alana Pierce is returning Holy. to the show next week, uh, which is exciting. Um, and um, we also, what else was I going to say? Just the words just lost in my brain. That's fine. Just went right it out. happens. Um, I think I was going to mention the PSA that you have listed here in the intro about uh, your favorite platform. Uh, we know that you guys listen to the podcast on many different platforms. If there is a platform that you're like, hey, why isn't What's Good Games available? Why don't you reach out to us at contact at whatsgoodgames.com and we'll do our best to make sure that we can distribute it there because we want to make sure that listening and subscribing to the podcast is as easy and convenient for you as possible. Ooh. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. You had like a nice, like buttery element to your voice there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm, I'm coming off of, uh, five days of a head cold. Ah. So I'm, um, at maximum Sudafed in my bloodstream. <laughs> 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 I'm at the point now where I think I can start, uh, weaning myself off of it to avoid that Sudafed rebound, which tends to happen to me. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling a little bit better, but my voice is a little weird, a little wonky. I like it. But. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's got, a, it's got a sultry kind of tone to it. Oh, God, girl. Mm, baby girl. <laughs> you better stop that. I'm going to jump I definitely the screen. I definitely can't keep that up the whole show. It won't happen. Uh, we're about to jump into some news, but before we do, I want to say a big thank you and shout out to Me Undies and Smile Direct Club for sponsoring this week's episode of What's Good Games. Me Undies, of course, is some of the softest, softest, is not the softest underwear you're ever going to put on your booty. And Valentine's Day is just around the corner. And rather than spending all of that money going out to fancy restaurants, why not just hang out in your underwear all night, courtesy of Me Undies? So, Me Undies, of course, uses that coveted micromodal fabric, which is three times softer than cotton. This fabric genuinely feels like actual heaven on your skin. And I can say that as somebody who is wearing Me Undies at this very moment. Yeah. You could also get a style that is perfectly suited for you. Men, women, each of them can choose from four different cuts, all of which are available from classic colors to adventurous prints. And speaking of prints, this V-Day season, Me Undies will be releasing a new print every Tuesday. That means you and your loved ones can chill in matching prints for Valentine's Day and play the game of how long can we keep these on? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> saucy. I know, I like it. But why stop at Undies? This year, Me Undies is taking it one step further and launching their Valentine's Day prints in lounge pants and onesies as well. Both are made from the same micromodal fabric as their Undies. And of course, they've got a great offer for our listeners and for any first time purchasers. When you order your Me Undies, you'll get 15% off plus free shipping. This is a no brainer, you guys. 15% off a pair of the most comfortable undies you will ever put on. To get that 15% off, free shipping, and a 100 satisfaction guarantee, go to meundies.com slash WGG. That's meundies, M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash WGG. And the prints that they have up already for Valentine's Day are 
super cute. They have like a little uh, wine and takeout container pairing. They've got a bunch of hearts. Um, it's uh, definitely worth checking out. Last year, they were using the tagline, match your bottom half to your better half. And I thought that that was really cute. Oh, that's so I got cute. John. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I got John and I the matching uh, Valentine's Day ones from last year. So um, check them out. Meandies.com slash WGG. All right. Into the news. Um, before we get there, I just got to plug my laptop in really quick. Hold oh. up. <laughs> See, you're going to be like, I just got to plug something like a... Like like an actual thing. Right. But I guess yeah, it's I mean, actually... She is actually... Yeah, she is yeah. actually plugging in anything, but... Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. yeah so some I, good so, vamping, you and me. Yeah. At my, good job. Good. good job, ladies. Um, at my <laughs> command station here in the What's Good Game studio, um, I have the other screens full of things so i can't pull the show notes up on them so i have to bring my laptop out here it looks pretty crazy um all right first story super smash bros ultimate breaks records with december u.s sales call of duty and red dead redemption still hold strong in the latest npd report so this long write-up comes from inrakan over at game informer and we've got quite a few stats and details to throw your way so i'm going to try to truncate this as quickly as i can so super smash bros ultimate is by far the biggest seller of the month of december topping the chart the switch exclusive debuted as the highest selling exclusive a game only released on one console in npd history this list includes every halo pokemon playstation 2 grand theft auto games and even the most recent spider-man fucking crazy while it's hard to say whether the Nintendo fighting game will continue selling for the foreseeable future, the first month sales trajectory will likely make it the best-selling game in the series, which is already the best-selling fighting game series on the market. Between the physical sales and the unusual percentage of digital sales, which are not reported by the NPD, it's likely Smash Bros. sold somewhere north of 4 million units in the U.S. in December. In other Nintendo software news, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, NPD groups the Switch and the Wii U games together, just as a side note, uh, has now achieved the record for the second best-selling racing game of all time. It is the second place to Mario Kart Wii. While previous years have had Call of Duty ending the year as the best-selling game of the calendar year, and by previous years, it's like, I believe, the last six years in a row... Um, the third best-selling game of the year was, or excuse me, I totally skipped that, uh, best-selling game of the calendar year 2018 goes to Red Dead Redemption 2. This is probably not a surprise to most considering the game's quality, advertising push, and historical legacy of Grand Theft Auto V continuing to live on the charts for literally years and is still in the top 20 again for December. That's insane. Uh, yeah. It really is. Call of Duty Black Ops 4 did, however, land as the second best-selling game of the year. The third best goes to NBA 2K19 which is honestly kind of a shock to me, uh, which also makes it the best-selling sports game of 2018 and now yearly accolade given to the NBA 2K series. It's followed by Madden NFL 19, the fourth best-selling game of the year, and Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. With the exception of Red Dead Redemption 2, the entire top five best-selling games of 2018 were either primarily or heavily emphasized multiplayer. So before I get into some more rankings... Wow. Hats off to Nintendo and congratulations. That is an impressive feat. Yeah, that's yeah. dang. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, yeah, like, what do you silence. say to that? That's, in- that's incredible. <laughs> I think what's surprising to me, and I guess it, I shouldn't be surprised by this, is how number two and three were NBA 2K19 and Madden NFL 19. I mean, we're obviously out of touch with the sports ball games. I, I don't know why I call it the sports ball. I hate it when people do that. And I just did it. Shame on me. Shame. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, because, you know, we don't really cover those games in our little bubble of a podcast here. And so it really goes to show you how expansive the gaming community really is and how it's games like this that are really the hot sellers. Yeah, it reminds us that even though we as video game pundits have a very uh, unique perspective on the video game landscape, there are millions of gamers out there who never listen to a video game podcast, who never watch YouTube, who never listen um, you know, to Twitch streamers or watch Twitch streamers or any of that, right? There are tons of tons of gamers out there who just enjoy playing one or two games a year, and that's their game, whether it be Call of Duty or Fortnite or Madden or FIFA, right? So the, the interesting part to me is how both of those series knocked FIFA down. Now, I believe these numbers are just United States numbers because because FIFA clearly has a much bigger dominance in Europe and other territories. Mm -hmm. But needless to say, I think it's worth noting that NBA 2K19 coming in as high as they did um, is a testament to the work that 2K did to kind of overhaul the controversies surrounding that game in 2018. Mm -hmm. And clearly their community responded in kind by buying a lot of copies (laughs) of that game. (laughs) So um, the top 20 rankings for December, I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, We just went through um, the top three there. So Smash, Red Dead, Black Ops, Battlefield, NBA 2K19, Mario Kart 8, which I can't believe that game's hanging on in the top 10, Uh, Madden, uh, Super Mario Party, Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu, Marvel Spider-Man, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Pokemon Let's Go, Eevee, Um, and then Odyssey. In the top 20 I a mean, year later. I mean, those make sense to me. Like, Mario Kart makes sense to me. Super Mario Party makes sense to me. Like, these are all things that you would get as gifts in December. I guess if you're getting a brand new Switch, yeah. because clearly Nintendo had a, a dominating year for hardware as well, which we'll get into in just a second, uh, that makes sense. So speaking of which, Switch finishes the year as the best-selling console of the year, finally beating out Sony's PlayStation 4 yearly totals for the first time. Though this is also the first year that both systems had full years on the market together, Switch also set a record for the highest dollar amount in December sales for any console since the Wii in 2009. Though the Switch also costs slightly more than the Wii, but less than other contemporary platforms. As an odd aside, the best-selling accessories of 2018 were the black PlayStation 4 controller and the white Xbox One <laughs> controller. The Switch Pro controller is also there, but the type color was not listed. It should be interesting to see what 2019 holds for these three platforms. With a number of heavy hitters already at the door, all three platform holders have yet to really reveal their hands for this year, which is true. We kind of don't have any insight as to really, I mean, Xbox is kind of leading the way with exclusives um, for for release dates. Um, and Imran continues: By this time next year, we could theoretically be discussing whether The Last of Us Two outsold Halo Infinite, or whether Animal Crossing quietly outsold oh, everything. Else. I hope so. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I would say Pokemon has a chance to outsell. Animal Crossing oh, yeah. just doesn't quite yeah, have the market true. penetration. <laughs> I know. But I don't know Not when you get Halo. Crazy Tegan behind something. Maybe she's going to do all the advertising for them. If Nintendo wakes up and actually gets her on their influencer payroll, oh then maybe. Yeah. Um, so tied into this story, of course, the ESA released a press release uh, earlier this week stating that U.S. video game sales reached a record-breaking $43.4 billion in 2018, which is <laughs> – Cyrus got like the little pinky for yes. Dr. Evil. Billion? <laughs> so, so many billions of dollars. <laughs> that is an – 18% increase from 2017. 
Um, so the ESA president and CEO, Stanley Pierre-Louis, uh, says the impressive economic growth of the industry announced today parallels the growth of the industry in mainstream American culture. Across the nation, we count people of all backgrounds and stages of life among our most passionate video game players and fans. Interactive entertainment stands today as the most influential form of entertainment in America. 2018 was another record-setting year for the U.S. video game industry as consumer spending jumped 18% overall. Whether it was playing on the go on a mobile device or at home on a PC or on console, consumers of all ages and interests found compelling content that delighted in 2008, added Matt Piscatella, who I had the pleasure of speaking with on Games Daily earlier this week. So he gave me a little bit of context because um, I kind of wanted to have him put into perspective some of these numbers um, because I was having a hard time believing not the sheer amount of Switches that were sold. Obviously, that, that number has been talked about quite extensively. We talked about it in December, and Nintendo is clearly having a moment right now. But the overall dollar amount was hard for me to grapple with because of the Xbox One X and the PS4 Pro being substantially more expensive than the Switch. I just assumed that the numbers weren't so far away that that extra like $1 to $200 wouldn't have offset the overall profits, but apparently it has. Um, the amount of premium consoles that both Xbox and PlayStation are selling does not outweigh the sheer volume of Switches that are out in the world, which I thought was fascinating. Go Switch, go! Oh. Yeah, man. It's Make us more Joy-Cons. Also, lower <laughs> oh. the price of the Joy-Cons. They're too expensive. Thank you. Goodbye. Seriously. Goodbye. That's honestly probably where Nintendo is raking in the money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Super Kids are dropping them in the, couch, in the couch cushions. People are like, I yeah. gotta spend $60 on another Joy-Con. That's Aren't they game. 80? Aren't they in $79.99? Oh are they? God. I thought they were 60. It was like, please look. I am looking. I do remember the last time I picked them up, I was like, this is dumb. I'm mad about this. $72.99. Normally $79.99. Yes. Jeez. Oh, that's a, that's a, no wonder yeah, they're making money on hardware. <laughs> what the fuck is that? I'm sorry. It's okay. I, we've talked about this at life. This just makes yeah. me happy. It's just all these happy things happening in the industry. This industry is on a sky on a rocket. It is going up into the air into space and it is going to keep going and it is good. And it makes me happy. Industry just, skyrocket. We going, love you so going. much. I'm just reading well, these numbers. Whatever an industry is skyrocketing like this, of course, I think it makes people worry about will it crash at some point? Is there a bubble to be burst? And I don't think that that's a major concern at this moment, mostly because the market penetration for video games is so widespread now that more people than ever are considering themselves gamers. Whereas I remember when I first started playing when I was a kid back in the you know 80s and early 90s that the, the term gamer was reserved for a very exclusive small community. And I'm so glad to see diversification happening around the world and people being more comfortable becoming part of this culture. I think we talk about that a lot on this show and how it, it's so good to finally feel like the inclusivity is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think inclusivity clearly means more people are buying and more people are buying means more people get to make games. It'd be interesting to see the breakdown between mobile console platforms, you know, digital sales and how much each one of those things individually went up. That would be mm-hmm. kind of interesting to watch. 
Uh, so I do believe that those numbers exist. Uh, oh. The report that they put out is quite extensive, and uh, Matt Piscatella on Twitter has tons of stats um, in his feed if you guys want to check out some of the nitty-gritty data around it. We did cover a story uh, on Games Daily last week about the mobile gaming market specifically and how much money it made, which was really wild because I feel like I've been saying for years that mobile gaming is huge and everyone's like, mobile gaming sucks. And I'm like, listen, you who can are those like, chuckle fucks? I'm like, you can hate mobile gaming all you want, but like, it's like worth billions and billions of dollars and it's right. the biggest market share of any platform. I did find it interesting when we were talking to Matt that he mentioned about digital sales because something notable about the Smash story was that these impressive sales records don't even include the digital right. sales of Smash. It's just the retail sales, which is um, indicative of two things. One, retail is strong. And Matt had said that retail has remained flat. There was a slight dip in this last year, but that overall people that traditionally buy games from a store are continuing to buy games at those same stores. And so um, I think that's good news for brick and mortar retailers. Gamers are but creatures that, of habit. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that uh, when it comes to digital sales, that they are um, increasing year over year. But the reason why the numbers look so big is because NPD tracks digital sales for all platforms and mobile is exclusively digital and it's the biggest platform mm -hmm. and PC is over 90% digital, which is the second biggest platform. And then you've got the consoles coming in with the retail sales. And so when you look at overall digital trends, it's, it's important to remember that very specific platforms tend to spend digital and others do not. Yep. I'd be curious to know what year they started including mobile gaming into these stats. I would guess in like the mid 2000s to the yeah. late 2000s, whenever smartphones really came onto the scene, because that's when mobile games yeah. were a thing. So really like I, if you think about iPad being the breakthrough for mm -hmm. mobile gaming, and then of course more people playing on their phones once the smartphone became more accessible from a cost perspective to people. Because mm -hmm. yeah, so that was like 2010, 2009. Yeah. Because obviously mobile gaming is gaming. I would just be curious to know if he took away that purely digital chunk of whatever, how much the industry really has grown in terms of just consoles, right? But uh, either way, like, that's that's great. Go industry. Yeah, man. And I wonder, you know, because you were saying earlier, people are worried about, are we in a bubble? Is this going to crash? And it's just, I don't, like you said, I don't know if that applies to this industry that we're in. Just because I feel like, you know, the games aren't going away. This is such this is such a money making industry. It's not like someday someone's be like, we're not going to make games anymore. So I don't know. It's just we it's have bubbles within our industry, but the right. industry as a whole is not a bubble. Yeah, that's true. Well, I, I thought it was interesting listening to Matt talk about how Fortnite, the juggernaut phenomenon of 2018 kind of really emphasize the idea of a rising tide lifts all boats and that the spend on Fortnite really encouraged the spend in a lot of other games for people and that it's going to be interesting to watch the industry and how they're going to continue to innovate and find that next lightning in a bottle if that will be even possible because Fortnite's final numbers for the year were an estimated $2.4 billion haul um, as the number one free-to-play uh, free game on the market. Uh, which was really fascinating how much money they made when they just made the game for free. Um, I think it's a testament to um, the economies of free-to-play games, even though some of them can be quite gross. I think 
Fortnite remains a poster child for how to do free to play right. And I hope that more developers look at that model and go, hey, what can we do for our community if we make the base game available to everybody and then allow people to spend what they want on cosmetics without, you know, the grossness of RNG loot boxes? Mm-hmm. So I hope that more developers look at that and go, let's put, you know, cosmetics in in a way that makes sense for us. Um, but, you know. We'll only be able to uh, wait and see what happens. I think we know exactly what's going to happen. Microtransactions are going to happen in games that shouldn't have them. And everyone's going to get mad about it. And then we'll have the well, same conversation of... They have... Yeah, they have been. <laughs> you know, have the same conversation that we have every time something like this goes wrong. Like, what are you thinking? Why are you continuing to do this? Have you not been paying attention for the past two years? People don't like this. But it's fine. Is this a Muppet but they scolding do. these companies? Yes. The, right. mu- the companies have become Muppets. Ooh, let's if, you have, if you have shitty RNGs loot boxes in your games, you are a Muppet. I do want to make sure that there's a distinction between loot boxes and microtransactions. Because while all loot boxes are a microtransaction, not all microtransactions are loot boxes. It right? is very true. Yes. Um, and so I don't think microtrans... I've said this um, before and I will say it again. I don't think microtransactions as a blanket statement, are bad. I do think loot boxes, as a blanket statement, are bad. Just, like, just get rid of them. Like, but they make so much money, Andrea. They're not going to I know. They're never going to go away. I, I realize that. And I'm guilty for buying them. I buy loot boxes. See? I'm a bad person. You're part of but the problem. I, I know. We thank you for buying our loot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind them as much in a free-to-play game, but, like, when they're in, like, a $60 yeah, game... Yeah, that's put, when it feels bad, You're gonna bad, put RNG man. loot boxes in that? Like, Overwatch? Come on. Come on. Yeah. Get rid of them. Good old All loot right. boxes. Next story. Brittany, this one's for you. Thanks. Um, Resident Evil 2 add-on content will star three new survivors. Survivors? That's the survivors. word. Uh, uh, I'm Michael, a survivor. Michael, I'm not going to give up. I will kill zombies. Oh, well, you took that a whole other oh. direction. That's fine. Uh, okay. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get a copyright strike for that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm still irritated about that. So if you guys missed my tweet... Um, in one of our recent episodes, uh, Brittany and Steimer and myself were all like really terribly singing. Um, Apparently not. What were we singing? We were singing. Um, I, don't know. I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> the final countdown. Oh. Ah, That's yes. what it was. And we got a copyright notice from the company who owns the copyright for the final countdown and i was like are you serious we sang it for like 13 seconds in a really terrible way and i looked up the rules around that because i was going to fight the copyright claim because we get some pretty bogus copyright claims on our channel and i've fought a couple of them and and gotten them successfully taken down but this one i looked up and i was like the, the according to the way the rule is, even if a baby is singing it in a high chair, that's the example they use. They're like, you still have to have permission to use the license. That's hilarious uh, for the song. And I'm like, that's that's so dumb. Come on, though. baby, sign so this now contract. We ha- 
Yeah, so now we have to share revenue with them because we sang a couple bars. <laughs> Whatever. Of it. It's not like we make that much money off of ad revenue. On here's twelve dollars. I hope you feel good about yourself. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Anyways, that went to a weird tangent. Back to Resident yeah. Evil Two. Yes. Yeah. So this writer is on Polygon. Capcom is working on a new game mode for Resident Evil Two remake that offers three additional perspectives on the zombie infestation of Raccoon City. That mode, the Ghost Survivors, will be released as a free update to the game. Capcom announced at the launch event in Japan. The Ghost Survivors will be a side story that focuses on three survivors, Robert Kendo, the firearms dealer who owns Raccoon City's Kendo Gunshot, an unnamed member of the Umbrella Security Service, and Raccoon City Mayor Michael Warren's daughter who meets a tragic fate at the hands of the city's police chief. Spoilers. According to a translation from the event on Silicon Era, the Ghost Survivors will include randomized scenarios, an enemy unique to the game mode, and a shop where players can purchase items with points they earn in-game. They've reached out to Capcom for more details. In addition to the Ghost Survivors, they have some more free content planned. Low-polygon character model costumes for both Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield, known as 98 Leon and 98 Claire, will be released for the game for free in March. Yeah. Is the a unique enemy a giant piece of tofu, Brittany? <laughs> no. No. So, do you want to hear the, the story on tofu? No, you yeah. talk- wait. Didn't you tell us? Wait, the story we talked tofu? about tofu last week. Did we talk about tofu? Yeah, we did. Oh, he was. We did. Oh, so okay. Anyway, then we, I don't that, want to. That's about. why I was making the joke about tofu. But no, so, so, what, now so tofu was originally developed as a collision detection little character model, and then they just inserted him into the game. That's why he's there, and, and he now turns he can be his own yeah. enemy. Okay, so the reason this is really exciting, first of all, is the Ghost Survivors mode is because those three characters, Kendo, the unnamed USS guy, um, that's what hunk is a part of hunk is a character that umbrella security service he was sent to retrieve the g virus obviously this is a new member of that unit and the uh mayor's daughter michael warren that's all exciting because those are characters that have been played a part have that played a part in uh resident evil 2 but we don't know a lot about them in fact the mayor's daughter doesn't even have a name she's been given multiple names throughout the, the franchise so i think we might actually get a legitimate name for her now and Kendo is just a fan favorite. And so it's going to be exciting to be able to step in the shoes as these characters. I'm more excited for that rather than the game mode itself. The game mode sounds fine. But I just want to learn more about these characters. And I think that's really, really cool. And the Polygon characters, too. It's just they're doing everything right. Capcom is just doing this right. It's all free. What more do you want out of life? I don't want much That's more. really nice that they're adding it as a free update. It certainly is an incentive for people to purchase the game on launch day. Which yeah. is today. Yeah. Buy it. Do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save any other commentary because we're going to talk at length about uh, Resident Evil in the third segment, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but just wanted to give that little news. So if you guys are excited about Resident Evil, there's some free content coming. Uh, next up, it's not looking good for the Overkills The Walking Dead. Oh, Excuse wow. me. It's not looking good for Overkills The Walking Dead <laughs> on console. So Eurogamer reports that payday maker Starbreeze has postponed the release of Overkill's The Walking Dead on console as the company battles for survival. A short note on the Starbreeze corporate website announced the game would not hit its original February 2019 launch on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Quote, Starbreeze has decided to postpone the release date from its original February 2019 date. Further information regarding the future release will be announced at a later date, reads the statement. 
This perhaps comes as a little surprise given the current difficulties surrounding Starbreeze. The game company recently underwent a reconstruction and it's seeking to sell off various parts of its business it considers to be non-core, such as its failed virtual reality initiatives. The console port of Overkill's The Walking Dead was handled by Cheshire, an England-based outsourcing company, D3T, and it was set to be published by 505 Games. Starbreeze reconstruction means it can cease making payments to contractors for the time being, and it had already announced it wouldn't get a $10 million license fee from 505 for the console version of The Walking Dead until after the current financial quarter. Late last year, the disastrous launch of Overkill's The Walking Dead on PC saw Starbreeze announce a cost-cutting drive. CEO Bo Anderson was fired by Starbreeze's board of directors as the company announced a reconstruction. Then, Swedish authorities raided the company's Stockholm office, making two arrests as part of an investigation into insider trading. Anderson was later cleared by the Swedish authorities. Starbreeze is reportedly 34 million pounds in debt, with creditors including the Nordia Bank AB and Smilegate, the South Korean video game company that had invested in Starbreeze to make a co-op crossfire game. It's still down to published games from independent developers such as Psychonauts 2 and System Shock 3, however. What a sucks. How do you have no money and still publish games? I have no idea. Like this, Business is weird. <laughs> the whole thing is wild. Um, of course, they're delaying the console port. It's never coming. Yeah, I doubt, I doubt it will. Yeah, Even with that point. $10 million, that means that they're 24 they're in, a, in debt. They're in a bad place. Oh, wait. So, no, because one's in pounds and one's in dollars. Ooh. Yeah, let me do a, a quick conversion. Do some here. math. So I was looking at the reviews on Metacritic, and it's currently at a 52 out of 100. And well, I read a few of the reviews, and the sad thing about this is most of the reviews say that the game and the concept is not bad in itself it's just incredibly unpolished and it's a great idea it's just the technical polish Mm -hmm. on it is shitty like it crashes the loading times are way too much Uh, just recycled maps everything so bummer deal this is the problem that i had with the game when i played it at judges week back in may of last year is that i was like the concept looks neat like four-player co-op you're in this world it's based off of you know the tv series the walking dead instead of just the straight comics um you know you could see some kind of fan favorite characters from the television show appear um but it just felt a little clunky um which was disappointing but at that point it was still pretty early um well not pretty early they still had around like five months of development so they could have fixed some of that stuff but um, obviously, the PC launch did not go as well as they anticipated. Um, so now they find themselves in this state. And of course, I could have told them that they should have ceased all virtual reality stuff like ASAP. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, 34 million pounds sterling is 44.4 million US dollars. Well, there you go. So I think their VR headset was going for like $3,200 or something insane like that. It was... Uh, it was it had like got a, money for that. Right. Yeah. I think it probably could have been, you know, a cool piece of technical equipment, but it's that price point and clearly they're riddled with problems. But it's interesting because this game was announced in 2014. And I think as we've seen, very few games that are announced that early live to see the light of day. And if they do, the end result is just not good. And I think back in 2014, you know, having a game with zombies was still considered a okay, cool thing to do, especially The Walking Dead. And as time's gone on, that culture's kind of shifted and changed, and it's not enough to sell units anymore, unfortunately. So, wah-wah. Sad day. Wah-wah and Rip. 
All right. Um, that's going to do it for the news for this week. I'm sure there'll be some crazy breaking story that we're inevitably going to miss. Apologies for that. But we have lots of video games to talk about oh. in the next segment. So we're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, I have played Anthem. Britt and I played Mortal Kombat 11. And I also played... Far Cry New Dawn. And of course, Brittany and Stiver played some stuff too. Ah, we'll talk about it all in just a moment. <laughs> that was very <a> Andrea. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. It's the second segment of the What's Good Games podcast. And this week, our hands-on impressions are brought to you by Smile Direct Club. Are you a smile hider? Do you hide your teeth in group pics or just not smile when meeting someone because you don't like how your teeth look? Thank you for the pantomiming, Stammer. I appreciate that. Got you. <laughs> Let's get something straight. Your teeth. The ones you cover when you laugh or hide or whenever someone breaks out a camera. With Smile Direct Club, you can straighten your teeth with invisible aligners sent directly to you. For only $80 a month, you can have a smile you'll love and a lifetime of confidence. No braces, no monthly office visits, no pain of fortune. Smile Direct Club invisible aligners work gently and discreetly to gradually guide your teeth into alignment. And one of their 200-plus duly licensed doctors oversee your plan every step of the way. Go to SmileDirectClub.com to see real before and after photos of more than 350,000 satisfied grins. That is over a quarter of a million sets of teeth. Order a free impression kit with a rebate or schedule a free 3D scan at one of their smile shops. Plus, Smile Direct Club has an exclusive offer just for listeners of What's Good Games. Get $150 off of your invisible aligners at smiledirectclub.com slash podcast. You need to use the offer code What's Good. If you're listening, this offer is just for you guys, $150 off at smiledirectclub.com slash podcast and use that code what's good to make sure you get that $150 discount. Again, one more time, smiledirectclub.com slash podcast offer what's good. Stop hiding your smile by getting started with Smile Direct Club today. All right. So as I mentioned right before the break, I've been playing a lot of stuff, but before we get to that... um. I'm reading Brittany's note in the show notes, and it literally just says a little thing called Resident Evil 2 that I have not been excited for at all. Holy shit, it's actually a thing I've played. This is real life. Whoa. <laughs> um, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to save that for the third segment, Brittany. The anticipation is bubbling inside of me. I just want you to get on the very edge of your seat by the time we get there. I'm Stimer, punching. you finally mm. finished Gris. That's yes. exciting. Yeah. So I mean, it's not really. I it was I was mostly done, <laughs> but I just had to, I had a little more. I had a little more to to, to top off a finish. And you did. You topped and it I off. I did it. That's actually okay. This is going to sound really pathetic, and everyone's going to judge me. And you can. No. And that's fine. I think that's the first game I've finished on my Switch. Wait, really? Yeah, I've played a bunch of shit, but I haven't finished any of them. Congratulations. Because you didn't finish Celeste, right? No, I didn't finish Celeste. I didn't finish mm. Mario Cross Rabbits. I didn't finish Mario Odyssey. I didn't. I didn't finish fucking anything. <laughs> Zelda still sitting there. 
but I did finish Chris. <laughs> well, I, I am very proud of you, Cyber, and I hope this just is the first game of many that you continue to play and finish on your Nintendo Switch. I also, I also like that? hope. Yeah, yeah, that baby that girl. I I'm did. glad he pinched that one off. Oh no! Why? You know I hate that. I know you hate that. That's why I said it. Now we're all thinking about poop. (gasps) Why happens? Brittany, why? Yeah, I know everybody poops, but um, so you have no desire to go back and finish uh, Octopath Traveler? No. (laughs) She's like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Mm, Hard pass. (laughs) That's gonna be a no. Thank you for me. Uh, You should play the Dark Side Detective. Okay. It's a game I've been trying to get you to play for a hot minute. That's true. You have been trying yeah. to get me to play that for quite Wait, some so time. Wait, so what is this game? It's an old school what, adventure game. It, it's not actually old school. It's relatively new, but it's an adventure game. It's a new game. school like, adventure game. New school, like point and clicky. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's really cute, though. I really liked it. Was Made it long? No. I think I finished it on a plane ride. Oh, great. To, like, San Francisco or something. I think the problem with my Switch is I have such short attention span that anything that gets too like too involved i'm like okay distracted now well i i don't know why i have so much more add with the switch than anything else but it's usually because i'm traveling Mm. yeah that's true yeah i'm looking forward to bringing my switch on my incredibly long flight to australia um many hours to play um i have new super mario brothers u deluxe yeah um what a name to find to check out um i still have pokemon let's go pikachu that i was thinking about um bopping around in and then um what i'm really excited to play though is just more diablo 3 eternal collection because it's just so good (laughs) i mean i appreciate you throwing pokemon in there i I do yeah i mean i actually had a surprisingly good time when i played with you and that's not a knock on pokemon it's just like i've never been interested in that franchise but i really like what they did with the let's go uh graphic style i think it makes it a um for me a little bit more approachable than some of the 3ds pokemon games that i've seen um over the last decade um and i know that there's obviously some smaller indie games that are out and maybe i'll try to go after some more moons in an odyssey but probably not realistically can i just <laughs> Do you say, like guacamole because that's out now i played it like 20 minutes of it so i didn't put it down here because i was like i haven't played enough yet i just want to say the fact that you were playing pokemon and resident evil just makes me so happy andrea has done a better to me, friend Brittany. than i am <laughs> it's okay <laughs> hey you play the demo for me that means I a did lot play the demo for you i swear if you fly down here i'll play mm. Yes. So, I mean, that's up to you. (laughs) Ball's in your court there. That was really creepy. (laughs) We've definitely had a lot of people asking if there's going to be a Let's Play or stream of Resident Evil because there's a lot of people that have written in to be like, I'm too scared to play, but Brittany can play for us, right? Yeah, actually, Corey Um, Barlog said he would be down to come join us if we wanted to do some Resident Evil. Oh, nice. That would be fun. Mm -hmm. I love that how he's just like tooling around visiting everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, yeah, you know, taking some time off, not working on God of War 2 or whatever the name is of the the next thing. Playing Resident Um, Evil with these no names. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cool. Um, We want to make a note here that, of course, um, also out this week is Life is Strange 2 Episode 2. 
And we were planning to talk about it here, but we realized that with all the embargoes lifting for several preview events that it's just not enough time to give you guys time to play. And it's really a difficult game to talk about, even loosely without spoiling things. So we are going to set a date in stone for episodes one and two spoiler cast. It is going to be March 1st, the first week of March. Yes. Friday, March 1st is the episode um, that it'll that'll happen. So I know that that seems like a long ways away, but it's only four weeks away. February is very short. Mm -hmm. It is. Yes. So we'll give you plenty of time to catch up on episode one if you missed it last year and to play episode two. But we just want to remind you guys of uh, Life is Strange 2. Episode two is also out this week. And a big thank you again to Square Enix for supporting us last year and throwing a really cool event with us. Um, We love those folks over there. So. So you two ladies. Was it last week? Time is is a. The only part that I was kind of jealous about was the gifts that you got to make. Oh, those are so good. The fatality gifts? Yes, the fatality gifts. Because I was like, God damn it, those are cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We made a point to be the first people in the photo booth line after the live stream presentation was over. I was like, Britt, let's beeline it over to the photo op. (laughs) Yes. Yes. But otherwise, the game is still a little too. I mean, I know it's ridiculous score, but it still makes my stomach turn a little bit. Someone hit us yeah. up on Twitter and asked, do you think Steinberg will play this game? And I'm like, hell no, Steinberg no. will not play this game. No. Definitely not. Yeah, it's I'm obviously a diehard Mortal Kombat fan. I've talked about it several times on the podcast over the last couple of years. But even I like had my stomach turn a little bit because the problem that I think Mortal Kombat is running into is that they have to continually push the envelope with the gore and the violence and just how grotesque the fatalities are with each iteration. I mean, Mortal Kombat 11. That's wild to think about how many years this franchise has been going on. And with the way that photorealism has advanced in graphics and video games, it's almost too real. Like, see the texture on the intestines as they're being ripped out. To see the indentations on the brain as it's coming out of the Uh, skull. The eyeballs. Like, it's just, it's too much. I think I'm going to call it and say that they they need to, like, dumb the graphics down a little bit. See, I fucking love it. Can I play it in retro mode where it goes back to pixelated? Please, that's all I really want. And that's why I think it made such a difference back then because it had more of a comedic element because it felt silly in a way, right? It's like it was so ridiculous, like the way the blood splatters are. It's it's so realistic looking now that it actually almost made me vomit at one point when I, I was watching some of them. you were just hungover. Well, that too. <laughs> Steimer and I had drank too much tequila the night before. I wasn't going to like say that, but thanks for calling me out. I guess that's hey. Britney's thing is just to call people out on the podcast. That's what I do. See, I I agree. It's really realistic looking. I just, I fucking love it. But it, it, does, when it, it does go to like ridiculous levels where it's, it, it's comedic like, if you don't have a like when the stomach. face comes out and then the yeah. eyeballs come out and then the brain or whatever. Like I'm one of those people who's in the audience going, oh, and like waving my arms in the air. Because like typically that stuff, well, actually, you know what? No, I, I've, I've hunted a lot of my life. So I've seen my fair share of things such as that. And I'm not You've seen brains. I haven't seen brains. Is that what you no, said? No, you said you have seen brains. Oh, oh I thought you said you haven't. And I was like, well, I don't want to make this weird. But um, no. yeah. <laughs> 
I, I can see how it would be actually that would be a really fun idea if they could do something like that and implement just old like 16 bit graphics or whatever. It's just kind of like a silly gore mode. So you wouldn't have to see that. But I wonder if they would do something like that. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. But I did find it interesting when Brittany and I were talking to one of the producers from the NetherRealm team. He mentioned the amount of development that they put into the liquid physics in the game, specifically because there is so much blood uh, that they really wanted to master blood physics and animation. And so that was a, a big focus for Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, out. What's so stickly guy? Where are they sourcing their blood references from um, to don't build know. this engine? I'm sure they take water and do something to it that makes it have the same consistency as blood. The same like, viscosity. Yeah, there we go. It's like <laughs> it's like the Hollywood shit, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe they do um, like blood donations from staff members, yeah. and then they just like. They're like yeah. they have like a nurse come in to pull the blood, and then instead of donating it, they just like splatter it everywhere and study it. Or maybe they have a shed full of QA testers, and that's oh, actually their no. primary job. <laughs> <laughs> you you, you sign up just to just to give blood to study blood physics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, that's a great question, Stemmer. One that I did not ask or contemplate at the really? time. That would have been my first one. I'd be like, wait a minute, what do you mean? How do you do this? What are you How using? Yeah, what's the source material for yeah. studying? Are you just watching videos of blood? Are you making <laughs> oh, fake God. blood? Probably both, I would say. Column A, column B. So um, let's mm-hmm. talk about our hands-on time. So we got about 45 minutes to play the game. And we got to try out some traditional versus mode. We tried out a combat tower. And we also got to take a look at the brand new customization system. So the gear customization is clearly influenced from Injustice 2, and they brought a lot of those mechanics into MK11. And I think there's going to be some people who are really excited about this and some people who are like, "Mm, I don't know how I feel. The cosmetic stuff I really like. I think it's cool, and I think it's even cooler that you get to pick individual pieces the way a set of gauntlets looks, the way uh, a specific weapon looks, for example. And then in the custom animations for the fatal blow moves, that uh, customization is reflected in all of those animations as well, which I think is a really nice touch. Brittany, what did you think about the customization options? I mean, I thought that was awesome too. It's a nice touch, like you said. Other than that, I I don't know how much I truly care about these things because I'm honestly just kind of in it to do the story mode on the easiest mode possible and just kind of nail some of those easy combos and see all the fatalities and hope for the best. But the options looked varied. Looks like you could do some really cool stuff with it. So if that's your cup of afternoon tea, then there you go. Well, they are bringing the variations back, which were very popular from the previous Mortal Kombat, and they're expanding on it by adding cosmetic customizations. But the real difference is the gems that enhance the different pieces of gear. And this is the part that I had a lot of questions about and got next to zero answers on, which was incredibly frustrating that I kept asking him question after question. He kept being like, we're not talking about that yet. So if you guys haven't seen any of the gameplay streams or the footage that went up from last week's event, each piece of gear has three slots. And each character so far from what we've seen will have three pieces of gear. So we're talking about nine gem slots across an individual character variation, mind you. And each character, I believe, has three variations. So that will be, as you can imagine, 
many different kinds of gems. So each of these gems has a different stat bonus. Um, it ranges all over the map from health buffs to damage boosts to specific percentage hit points on special moves, etc., etc. You'll collect gems and gear as rewards for completing matches and completing towers. The drop rates of which they were very vague about. They were like, we're not really talking about how many gems and how many pieces of gear you're going to get as drops. I was like, okay. Uh, another thing that I asked about that I noticed was that there's a, a cost associated with slotting gems and gear. And part of that cost clearly looks like an in-game economy that you earn just by playing the game. And then another one clearly looks like a microtransaction. <coughs> Excuse me. I also asked about the crypt returning which was rife with microtransactions from last year, or excuse me, not last year, last game, uh, MKX. And I really just did not enjoy what they did with the crypt at all. And they did not give me an answer. <laughs> We're not talking about that yet, he said. Um, they weren't talking about the microtransaction system in relationship to the gear slotting. Uh, I tried to ask, you know, what's the ratio of how this stuff is going to cost? Because the gems are one-time use. Um, and what I mean by that is once you slot them in to a piece of gear, you can't remove them or you lose them. So if you slot a new gem in over a gem, you've now lost the gem underneath. And so I was like, well, that is kind of a disappointment. So clearly you're going to be getting a lot of gem drops, right? And he was like, well, we're not talking about the gem drop rates yet. I was like, okay. And I said, well, what about transferring gems? Because I see there's an option to transfer. Like, how much is that going to cost? We're not talking about that yet. I was like, okay, Where fine. do you transfer them to? Um, so like, I guess if you wanted to transfer a gem to a different piece of gear, you could, there's a cost associated with taking the gem out so you don't lose it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, because once you slot it in, as I mentioned, it's slotted in. Um, and I said, okay, well, uh, that's fine. You guys are still working out the balancing in the in-game economy. That's fair. The game is still a couple of months away. What about the way that these buffs and boosts are going to work in ranked play? Are you guys talking about that? Because as Brittany mentioned on site, you know, Smash, when it comes to ranked play, you don't get any of those items, right? It's like pretty bare bones. And so it, we would assume that in another fighting game that it would be similar. But they, of course, we're not discussing that yet at this time. <laughs> so I got pretty frustrated because so I was like... are you discussing exactly? <laughs> right, right. So they were talking about the roster reveal so far. So we have eight characters. Um, the most important of which I would say is the brand new Chronica character and the also brand new Garrus character, which is part of the overall narrative. And it was so funny because when uh, we were talking about um, MK11 um, before or, or the way that the story is, they clearly have set this character up to be able to tie up any loose plot holes because she is like the master of everything and the master of time and she can move time around. And so sounds like a we don't sweet gig. Yeah, it does. We don't know how it's going to work. And but it, it's clear that she's trying to fix some of Raiden's fuck ups because <laughs> um, at the event, we got to see the opening cutscene from the prologue where Raiden beheads Shinnok. And instead of killing him, because you can't kill an elder god, as Shinnok so adequately says, um, he's just a head now, like poor Mimir. I was going to say, he's Mimir. <laughs> he's Mimir. Um, and so Kronika comes in and is clearly going to try to fix something or mess with things. And then Garrus is her uh, lackey who can manipulate time and sand. And he's kind of a cool character. We got to play with him a little bit. Um, in the putting me in a sinkhole. 
Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So we were, so yeah. it was really fun playing against. And Britt was like, "Are you sure you don't want to just play against the AI?" And I was, like, yeah, I've literally played like four or five Mortal Kombat matches in my entire life. And my dear friend Andrea is like, "Yeah, let's go, let's go." And I'm like, "Oh, I see what this is all about. You just need an ego boost. That's all hey, you need." You did really well. Thanks. I was, I was literally at proud. one point I was just pushing all the buttons like at this, randomly, and I was pulling off some pretty sweet combos. Well, they really made the combo system much more approachable in recent Mortal Kombat's than it was kind of in the middle there. The combos used to be um, a lot more combinations of buttons, and so they've really simplified it. But they've, of so course... So easy, Brittany could do it. Yeah, exactly. Is that a and compliment? I was I was playing off the so easy a caveman can do it. Yeah, yeah, I figured. It. So it's like not really a compliment, but I do love you. It's like so. a backhanded compliment. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I accept it. Thanks. They also have a training tutorial. They have a fatality tutorial. They have ways for you to be able to practice all the moves. And then, of course, the towers return, the combat towers. And so I tried one of those out, and boy, oh boy, oh, did yeah. they kick my ass. Um, and another interesting part that I noticed in the towers is there's un, uh, consumables that you can use that give you buffs for the whole tower. And those are truly single use. You use them on the tower one time and they're gone. And so I tried to ask about those too because I was like, this also smacks of microtransactions. And of course, they were not talking to me we about that. We will not talk about how we make the monies. Please, goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> in the so- tower, you were using a, a few skills. Were those what were those? So there's a couple different things you can do with the skills in the tower. Um, obviously, if you guys played Mortal Kombat, you're aware that each of the towers has a different set of parameters. So there will be towers that uh, you go into and you only fight a certain type of uh, warrior. Or there will be a tower where your health is set or capped at a certain place or your meter is capped at a certain place. So there's a bunch of parameters around each of the towers to make them challenging. Um, And so in order to combat some of that stuff, they give you these consumables, and there's four consumable slots. One consumable slot is for the whole tower. So I picked a buff that gave me... So when I was playing as Scarlet, they gave me a, a, a blood magic buff where whenever I blocked, I would gain some health back, and it was like a boost that I would carry through all of my battles through the whole tower. And then for each individual match, there are three additional consumable slots that are just for that match. So, for example, they work like assist like assist trophies, essentially, where I called in Baraka as my assist to help me fight the match, and that was a consumable that I used for that one match, and then it was gone. Simon, did you think she was about to say Barack Obama? <laughs> a little bit. I saw your, <laughs> I saw your uh, eye no. twitch a little bit. No, I was the like, guy, no, the oh, guy with all mind. the teeth and the sword hands. Um, I mean, when you were just like talking about what was happening in that cutscene, I was just like, what the fuck? Who are any of these people? I clearly yeah, have not played Mortal Kombat in so long. <laughs> It's um, it's definitely a, a little convoluted at this point. The story, for sure, it's like people have died and come back so many times. It's kind of hard to keep track of. But I don't want this to sound like I'm like all down on the game. I'm not. I think the game looks gorgeous. The graphics look amazing. Sorry, that's my bad. Oh, I was like, is that my computer? <laughs> now it's virus threat detection. Windows really wanted me to know. Um. <clears throat> The graphics look fantastic. Uh, the combat feels snappier than ever, which is a testament because Mortal Kombat has always felt really fantastic. And they're clearly um, 
iterating with each version of both Injustice and Mortal Kombat, and NetherRealm is really like um, showcasing their finest work yet with MK11 in that regard. The new Fatal Blow is replacing the traditional X-Ray from MKX, and they have a new Crushing Blow. So when Britt and I were fighting each other, we would trigger these like single punches, which would go into X-Ray moves, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. new for this time around. And they also have a advanced parry system that they've introduced, uh, the flawless block, which rewards is players. It's kind of like, a, as Ed Boon described it, a very high risk, high reward. So you have to really get in close. And if you parry at the exact perfect time, there'll be an opening for you to make a counter move, um, which is cool. And we'll obviously be exciting for really skilled fighting game fans of, of the franchise. But overall, Britt, uh, what did you think of what you saw and what you played? So I'm very new, like I've, like I've said. But what I'm looking forward to is just doing the story mode on baby-ass baby mode and trying to get acquainted with these characters and just kind of get thrown headfirst into the clusterfuck that is this story. It sounds like it's cuckoo bananas, and I think that's cool. I'm, I think it's I think part of I was trying to explain this to you, but I don't know what the right way to do it is. I it's almost like it's charming, like it doesn't take it too seriously, but it also kind of takes it seriously. There's something about that that's really attractive to me. I think it's I don't know. It's just I like the backdrop. I like the settings. I like how crazy the fatalities are, and I wish that the tutorial area had been available for me to kind of dink around in. But um, you know, as someone who's just always been bad at combos, I don't know how good I will do. But hopefully the, the baby-ass baby mode will be uh, good enough for my button-mashing skills. Because I'm very good at that. That's about as far as it goes. But it looks great. I mean, I'm excited to hop in and play it. But, like, the tower stuff, I probably won't do much of that. But that's fine. Yeah. I, I mean, the tower stuff is really meant to be replayability for people who maybe don't want to be in PvP and they've finished the campaign. I am also very much looking forward to the story because I am incredibly impressed with how NetherRealm has really innovated in fighting game storytelling in a way that we haven't seen anybody else do. Now, in fairness, I haven't played the world of light or whatever the story mode is in smash. So I can't compare, but I was really loved what they did with injustice and injustice Two, and even MK nine and MK 10. So I have to imagine taking all of those lessons learned over the last five years to it and bringing it into MK 11. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be a fun time. So, um, we'll have more on that um, later on. Uh, they are doing their first combat cast on January 11th next week to announce what January the community of February 11th. January 11th. January 11th. Sorry, past. January 30th. My bad. Okay, I was you like, correct. that is, or are we rewinding I was like, time? January <laughs> is the month I want. The date is not correct. Got uh, it. January 30th, um, where the community believes that they're going to reveal Cabal. Uh, they kind of give a little flash uh, of him in the live stream. And then, of course, the game is out in April. Very quick. Very, very soon. Soon, TM. So, um, let me talk quickly about Far Cry New Dawn, and then I'll deep dive into what I got to play of Anthem. (gasps) Yes, tell me about the thing I don't care about as much so that we can talk about the thing I care about more. (laughs) Um, Okay, so, Far Cry New Dawn. I got to play this at Ubisoft. They invited me down. Thank you so much for inviting me. And... I was very pleasantly surprised. I went in being like, ah, this is just going to be, you know, like a DLC expansion. Um, But it looks good. Now, I want to be clear. 
This is definitely a Far Cry 5 standalone expansion, but it doesn't feel like just a DLC pack. It does feel like they spent a lot of time changing the art style of the world, but it still has the bones of Far Cry 5 underneath of it, but they've really kind of changed the the look and feel of... Um, uh, what was the name? Uh, Hope County is the, is the name. Um, and they've added quite a bit when it comes to gameplay mechanics. So let me pull up my little duck with my notes here. Little so uh, Far Cry New Dawn is set 17 years after the events of Far Cry 5. The demo uh, that I played was Act 1 of the game. Um, so the creative character is back. You can pick uh, whether you want to be male or female. You will play uh, a captain of security for a man named Thomas Rush, who is trying to organize a resistance against the Highwaymen, who are the villain group led by twins Mickey and Lou, which you guys might have seen in the reveal trailer. Uh, your home base will be a town called Prosperity, uh, which is led by a woman named Kim, along with her daughter Carmina, uh, who was just a baby that you helped deliver in a side mission in Far Cry 5, which I think is kind of cool. I did not do that. Um, I don't recall doing that either. Um, there will be six new specialists in the game. The, of course, the Guns for Hire returns in a New Dawn, and they've really emphasized a light RPG approach, including ranks for weapons and enemies. Uh, you're going to be able to craft weapons on a workbench, and there will be four different ranks of enemies that are going to be visually indicated by armor. So you'll see, like, you know, your standard enemy who's not really wearing any armor, just clothes, and then, like, the level of armor will continue whereas the rank four is like very heavily armored so it'll have like a visual reference um there is going to be a new outpost escalation system um which adds replayability to the game so you can abandon an outpost that you've taken over so that the highwaymen retake it and then you can go redefeat them to get extra rewards which is nice for people who want to keep playing in the world and, of course, you're going to be able to upgrade prosperity, and ethanol is the key to grow. So ethanol is a new uh, resource that you're going to find around the world, and you're going to need to collect ethanol sweet, to sweet upgrade uh, various uh, items around prosperity. For example, if you want to upgrade the infirmary, it'll improve the uh, med kits that you use. If you upgrade the garage, it'll improve the types of vehicles you can craft, etc., etc. There's various things you can upgrade around prosperity. There will be three difficulty levels for New Dawn, uh, Explorer, Tough, and Hard Ass. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they've really um, added some new exploration elements, including um, you can – or actually, I shouldn't say add. They're, They're very similar to what you played in Far Cry 5. So you can talk to scouts, which they'll give you hints about where to go find stuff in the world. There are treasure hunts, which are very similar to going into the bunkers that you saw in Far Cry 5. Uh, Outposts, of course, are back. Looting is back. Hunting is back. There will be supply drops. So airplanes will periodically go through the world and drop supplies, and you know then you'll have to go fight people to, to win the resources. Hunger Games, um, so. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a bunch but of with, stuff. Yeah. One of the newest things, um, one of the newest, uh, one of the new things, <laughs> I should say, that they added is um, an, a gameplay item called Expedition. So this is where they take you to what they are calling, quote, new frontiers. So the setting is expanded to other regions of the U.S. and is accessible via a key character. So I didn't actually get time to play the Expeditions, but I think it sounded really cool. So it's co-op centric, they're replayable, and they're randomized. 
um, there's somebody at the home base that you talk to to go on these expeditions. So essentially they're like one-off missions where you go explore a different part of the U.S., which I thought was really neat. Um, yeah, I mean, the game looks good. The graphics look good. It's Who did you this... recruit as your friend and did they shut up after a certain amount of time? Because that was why so... I always picked the animals. <laughs> <laughs> so the first person that I recruited was um, a doctor named Celine, and I wrote in my notes here she's the my dude doctor because she kept saying, "Yeah, my dude, let's go do this. Yeah, I need you to check this out, my dude." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, you're the best." Um, <clears throat> so I just wrote, and she's a doctor of some sort. Um, and what I really loved about it is that her recruitment mission happened in a very specific area of the world that will instantly remind you of a very big mission from Far Cry 5. And I don't want to give it away because for people who want to play, I don't want to spoil it for you. But what I really loved about it is that when you're doing Celine's mission, you very clearly see um, some of the repercussions of events that happened in Far Cry 5. And there are uh, Celine references specific things and other people will reference them. And even visually, when you're going through her mission, you'll be like, it'll all come flooding back to you. You'll be like, oh, my God, I totally remember this mission. Um, and I thought that that was a really nice touch. And I have to imagine there'll be several other things like that. Of course, you know, Ubisoft has also already disclosed that Joseph Seed is going to be part of uh, New Dawn, and there are plenty of references to him throughout. <laughs> I've been Dawn. I've been laughing silently because I remember when Simon said she wants to punt Far Cry Five into the sun. <laughs> yes. So, so does it feel different when you're playing it? Because I'm actually looking forward to this. Far Cry Five had its issues, sure, but overall, like it was a fun co-op game. So, did it feel different when you're playing it? Are you enticed to play it when it comes out? It felt exactly like Far Cry 5. Okay. And I mean that in a positive way. Um, and I would say if you really enjoyed Far Cry 5 and you liked your time with it, you will definitely enjoy New Dawn. But how so, do the story missions trigger? Because is it the same as Far Cry 5? Because that was annoying as shit. I could not tell you because I only played one uh, mainline story mission. Got it. But from what I've seen, Bliss is not in this world. But Thank I've only God. seen, but I've only seen part of it. So who knows? Maybe Bliss is hanging around somewhere. But I'm sure um, it's somewhere, yeah. but hopefully but not. You're referring main... to like getting knocked out and waking up somewhere. Well, just yeah. like how they would ambush you. They would ambush yeah. you while you were in the middle yeah. of doing something else. You didn't get to pick when you went to go do a story mission. It was just like you're doing this now. <laughs> Have yeah. they mentioned whether or not how how big this game is or how anything like that? Because I feel like it's a really interesting premise, and that was one of the issues with Far Cry 5. It was just too much. It was just too big of a map. So they didn't because they're like, because of the replayability of some of the things, it's hard to put a number on it. And mm. they even mentioned, they're like, people always ask us to put a number on it, and we just can't. We just don't know how to do that uh, because there's just so much to do in the world. But they did show us part of the map. And if I'm comparing it to Far Cry 5's map, it looks like one big section because Far Cry 5's map was in three sections, yeah. right? So imagine New Dawn being just one of those three sections. Okay. But that would be again, fine with me. Yeah. I want to make the disclaimer that I don't know if that was the entire map. Or just a section Or of not. It. Or just what they showed us at the event. So. Yeah. But they do have a guy, a gun for hire named Bean, who started a website called Wikibenia. No, and, <laughs> and it's called. And, and then the slogan for the website is just the tips. Oh my god! <laughs> the, the problem with the human companions is like they wouldn't stop talking. And yeah, so no, eventually I was just like, oh my god, peaches, come here. 
you beautiful quiet cat come on cheeseburger you beautiful quiet bear you are my friends i don't want companionship i don't want someone talking to me all the time i honestly don't i didn't play enough with the no, I know. Yeah, you wouldn't to know. be able to tell with the with a preview event for sure yeah but I would say it looks good. It played really great. I got to play some co-op with Fran Mirabella. Um, if you guys want to see us take on some uh, what I dubbed zombie bears. Um, what? Zambie. Uh, so I think that it was like an irradiated bear because from, you know, because it's like, yeah. you know, there was like a yeah. nuclear Radiation. drop or whatever. Um, but we were out up. playing co-op together and I was like going off the beaten path. And I ran into this bear and I was like, oh, no. And then I got us both killed. I'm sorry, <laughs> Fred. You can check it out on his um, YouTube channel or his Twitch channel. I believe it's twitch.tv slash FM3 underscore. Oh. I think. I has know. an underscore. It but yeah, so Far Cry New Dawn. It's Let's coming out February 15th. About the thing Samurai does not want to punt into the sun. The thing that I would like to hold to my chest very near and dear and pet it and call it sweet names and give it chocolate. Okay. Oh. Let's do it. Yes. Tell anthem. me all about the anthem. Anthem. The anthem. So, um, I got invited by EA to come to their studio and play Anthem for eight hours, which Ugh. was a long time. Um, two of those hours was end game content, which I'm not technically allowed to talk about yet. That's fair. So, um, and I and I'm going to be gone next week when the embargo lifts. So we'll have to figure out what I can do, or maybe I'll just you could just write us a little separately. note and we'll read it. Okay, I'll write you a note. Yay! Um, <clears throat> so, Anthem is clearly my most anticipated game of 2019. I've said that many times. I'm pumped for Anthem. And after having played extensively with it, I'm more excited than ever uh, uh. for this game to come out. So the VIP demo is happening right now, this weekend, and then the regular demo is happening the weekend after. And Bioware has come out to say, you know, just some caveats about it. But I highly recommend, if you're curious at all about Anthem, to jump into the demo. But what I got to see that was exciting was this beautiful open world um, I called it Pandora-esque, and the uh, uh, lead producer, Mike Gamble, called it Jungle-esque, because, of course, you know, he, can't, he doesn't want to use Pandora, because that's from Avatar. <laughs> but it's um, what I love about it is the, the flight in your javelin throughout the world just feels so good. I was very nervous before, um, you know, I got to play in the open world, just how the flight would work, because the sections that, you know, the three of us got to play at E3 last year felt like such a very contained vertical slice. It was hard to know, like, how that traversal would uh, translate. And it it just feels so good. It feels like you can fly literally anywhere. And I love that. And the verticality and the level design in the open world is magnificent. You go down underwater into these caves and you shoot up through the water and can fly up into the sky onto the tops of these mountains. And the draw distance and the skyboxes in the game look fantastic. Unlike any Bioware game that I've seen to date, like the animation and the artwork that's been done is just beautiful. And it looks it looks incredible. So the water effects, the greenery, the weird creatures that inhabit this world is all just really awe-inspiring so far from what I've seen. So really excited about that. Um, <clears throat> the gameplay is the same smooth 
third-person shooter gameplay that the three of us experienced at E3. It's like that, but just a, I got to play with a wider variation of guns. So the weapon system feels very Mass Effect to me, and so does a lot of the combat, but it feels much more refined. Some of Mass Effect's cover system felt a little clunky, and there's no cover system here. So I think that really helps get you into the action a lot more because you soak so much more damage because you're wearing this like super suit, right? Um, so this time around, I got to finally play with both the Interceptor and the Storm Javelin. Um, and I'll drop some gameplay over this. So if you guys are listening to the podcast and you want to check out some of my Storm and Interceptor gameplay, head on over to youtube.com slash what's good games and, and take a look. And I also have an interview with um, Mike Gamble that I'm going to put up as well. So the Storm is everything I hoped it would be. <laughs> I'm... So pumped to feel like an elemental wizard in this suit with capes. and what? Yeah, the cape. The cape is great. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to the customization and how baller it is in just a moment. But the gameplay of the storm. So clearly, the storm is meant to be uh, more of like the magic class than the other ones. You have the longest flight time, um, hover time of all of the javelins. Uh, but they did tell me that all the javelins have the same flight speed. So when you're flying directly forward, all the javelins have the same speed. But clearly, some can f- uh, float longer than others. And obviously, some can soak more damage than others, right. uh, like the Colossus. Colossus. Yeah, he's a big, big boy. boy. Big boy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the Storm Javelin kind of feels like a medium weight as far as squishiness goes. You are definitely more squishy than the Ranger or the Colossus, but you have more armor than the Interceptor. And what I love about the Storm is the combo system because I played biotic classes in Mass Effect and they drew a lot of inspiration from the biotic detonators. Um, Ooh, and the, those are fun. the And the overall combat detonators from the Mass Effect combat system – for Anthem. And I spoke to them at length about, um, you know, how I'm looking forward to the spreadsheet of all the primers and the detonators that the community is going to put together. And um, the community manager over there, Jesse, was like, oh, that spreadsheet already exists. <laughs> Just from people watching our, our dev streams, people have already started to put that together. And it was just so fun throwing down an ice attack and then using my melee ground pound to detonate the combo. And Fran and I, once again, we're sitting next to each other at this event. I've seen him at almost every preview event that I've gone to over this past month, which is great. Um, so he and I were playing together. He was playing as the Interceptor, and I was playing as the Storm. And so I would prime things, and then he would detonate them with some of his melee attacks because the Interceptor is an, a, more of an assassin class. And it just feels so good. And the lightning attack, like using these like giant bubbles to draw lightning down from the sky. And then the ultimate ability was so much fun. So the ultimate works like a giant uh, dome almost. And it has three waves of a lightning attack, a frost attack, and a fire attack. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite figure out if I can select the order of the element attacks because um, I was still kind of to get my feet underneath me. And quite frankly, I was having so much fun just spamming it that I didn't bother asking. So (laughs) I'm sure the finer details of how the supers work will come out after the demo. But I love it. It was really fun. Um, The Interceptor class is clearly the most advanced javelin to use. Even Agent Tassin, one of the NPCs in Fort Tarsus, alludes to the fact that maybe you don't want to unlock the Interceptor first. You should probably unlock the Ranger first because it's the most approachable javelin. 
Um, because what's, what's really amazing about the Interceptor is its speed. It's super nimble and really quick. But of course, that means it's very light armor and very squishy. So you, you're kind of a glass cannon in the sense that you got to get in there and you hit really hard, but then you got to get out because you will only take a couple of hits before all of your shields are depleted. So you really want to combo up with another javelin, particularly like a Colossus or a Ranger to have them pull aggro. aggro. Yeah, exactly. Um, on from the heavier enemies. And then you get in there and you kind of like take your, your blades and you like slice them up. Um, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, slice and dice up. This is, so when you're ult- talking, it's getting me excited because it's making me think of like some of the elements I really enjoyed about Guild Wars. And like, especially the combo systems. When I remember when I tried to teach you, Brittany, you and Jason in a hotel room, Thank and I was you. like, "Here are the combos," and like, you can lay down a field, and then you can basically what you're talking about detonate it with like different kinds of finishers. But uh, so you have like all of those kinds of fun things, and you're like, "Oh, this is like a ninja class," and then you got. The, I do remember that. That was a good night. All, yes. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I think you're really gonna like the interceptor. It definitely feels like a ninja assassin class. Um, at first, I thought it was gonna be more of like a rogue class, and I guess I guess it pulls elements from that. But it's such a heavy hitter um, that some of those lighter classes also hit pretty light, but they hit really fast. And this class hits. Uh, fast but really hits hard. Um, and the ultimate ability for the Interceptor Javelin kind of feels like... It feels a little bit like Blade Dancer if you play Destiny and you play in the Hunter class in the sense that when you activate it, you move even faster and you just like slice and dice enemies after enemy after enemy and you're just like taking Hell your yeah. blades and going in there and just like wrecking shop. It's really good for wave clearing, which is awesome. Not so good for big tanky bosses um, that you're going to find in the strongholds, but um, definitely good for clearing mobs and and things and waves well, of good smaller if enemies. But it's only at like certain points when they have the weak up and then you just slice down their health. Right, exactly. But time it right. But what I really love about the Interceptor class is how beautiful the movement is. It's so acrobatic when you're flying around and you're doing your um, your air dodges because each dodge, each javelin dodge is unique and looks visually different. And the Interceptor just kind of like does these twirls. It's almost like you're on a trapeze in a sense. Mm. And it's just so pretty to watch. And I really loved the movement system and the agility of the Interceptor class. But I mean, I can't resist lightning fingers. <laughs> I mean, no, I understand. Um, so how do you continue to unlock the Interceptors? Because you were saying you do one to begin with. Mm-hmm. Do you, is it just based on level progression or when do you, how do you unlock the other ones? That's a great question. Um, they just gave us unlock tokens in the build. So I didn't bother asking, but this is something that I can reach out to them and get a clarification on and ask specifically. I mean, well, because you'll find out in the demo as well, but I was just curious. Yeah. So when I was chatting with uh, Mike about this, he, I had asked about, you know, uh, the use of the javelins throughout the story. I said, you know, would it make sense, you know, a la, you know, like a Mass Effect or Dragon Age where you kind of pick a specific class and you stick with it through the whole story? I said, or is it designed that you're supposed to mix and match your javelins along the way? And he said, it's absolutely designed to mix and match your javelins. And while each javelin has its own specific gear set related to the abilities of that javelin, your weapons can be used with any javelin. He said that there are a few specific heavy weapons that only the Colossus can use. Yeah, like a minigun, I believe. 
Something like that, yeah. And I think he said there might be a couple other, um, like just a few specific weapons, but your basic weapons that you're going to be using for the bulk of the time, um, you can a hot swap between your javelins, which I really like. And so, so um, go ahead, Brittany. You, I was going to say, like, so it's obviously it plays really well, but what did you do in your demo? Great question. So they dropped us into the very beginning of the game. Um, we also got to play. Um, so I played in the beginning, like levels like one through four. Um, and then I also got to play in uh, like they dropped us a little bit later, like level 10. Um, so what I played in this demo was actually what was available in the closed technical test that people were under NDA about. But now that I got to play it in the hands-on event, I can talk about it. So essentially, they kind of introduced you to Fort Tarsus. They introduced you to some of the people around the fort, um, people that you're going to meet, um, different various NPCs, uh, Mateus, who they've shown, the the bald guy with the face tattoos, Agent Tassin, who leads the Sentinels. The Sentinels are like the police force of Fort Tarsus. You meet other members of your Strider crew and like Halleck and Faye and Owen. And so you walk around Fort Tarsus and you get to talk to these people and pick up various quests from them. And then, of course, Agent Tassin sends you on mainline story quests as well. So when you pull up your map, you'll see different beacons around the open world and you can select these missions to leave Fort Tarsus and go specifically to the mission, or you can select free play where you just go out and maybe collect crafting materials, or you can run into public instances. So there'll be like events that spawn throughout the world, kind of similar to destiny's public events um, where you can take part with other people. So you'll see other people wandering around in the open world, but you won't see any other players in Fort Tarsus. That will only be you and your character you and your pilot, because some of the narrative choices that you make in Fort Tarsus will be limited to that. So I asked uh, a big question I think a lot of people have is how is a Bioware narrative going to fit into a constant progression open world multiplayer game? And the way they do that is they really silo your decisions into Fort Tarsus and those decisions don't carry over into the open world activities. And from what I've seen so far, the decisions, the narrative decisions are not as intense because there's only it's a binary choice instead of four choices on the conversation wheel and we also only saw the beginning of the game right they don't want to give away like what's going to happen and how big these story beats are going to be and i understand that like i don't want to know i want to save it i actually skipped through almost all of the story cutscenes because i didn't want to hear them or see them i just wanted to get back out into the gameplay um, but I did meet some really fun, interesting NPCs along the way, and it's clear that there's going to be flirting, but there's no romancing, as they've already mentioned. So it's and like my be life. Flirting, but what I asked, I flirt, but yeah. So what I happens. asked, <laughs> oh, Steimer. I'm just kidding. I really like to self-deprecate. You know this. Yes, it's true. But what I asked Mike was, are you going to be able to like make besties with someone? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I guess you could say you're going to make besties with someone. Um, but it's not, you know, a traditional Bioware romance. Sure. But uh, Fort Tarsus looks great. There's lots of things to see. And they have a codex, you know, where you're going to pick up information around the fort and talk to people. But so we played a couple story missions where we were to go out and um, silence oh, one, this part of the anthem of creation and the exact nomenclature of which is escaping me right now. But essentially, we go out and pick up these little glowy bits, and then the glowy bits unlock this 
um, thing that then silences this echo. There's a lot of very specific lore names for all of these things. <laughs> You'll learn that them eventually, I'm, but I that I'm definitely yeah. screwing up right now. Yeah, you guys will see them when you play in the in the demo. But it's, I mean, the game just, it feels good. The flight feels, feels good. good. The combat nah, feels nah, good. Nah, nah, nah. Um, the gear progression is something that a lot of people have been asking about. And it definitely feels like the Mass Effect gear system in the sense that you're not going to get one gun and then continually upgrade that gun. You're going to get a higher level version of that gun, like level four, level five, level 10 or whatever of that specific gun. So you're going to learn which types of guns you like. And the inventory system I really liked because it felt really clean and really managed. And it was funny because Fran and I are both obviously very big Destiny players. And we both looked at the vault in Anthem and we're like, oh my God, this puts the vault in Destiny to shame. Because <laughs> it's just so well organized. Um, and like there's, you know, your very traditional classes of guns. I particularly liked the light machine guns. That was my favorite to play with. But I mean, we only got to see a little bit. And the, the really cool gear and the stuff that I played with, I can't talk about yet. But all I can say is they showed us, they dropped us into Endgame, like level 30. And it was, it was baller. It was really fun. Um, and so there's clearly a long loot progression loop. How exactly that's going to manifest in drop rates and grind level can't say yet. Don't know. It's hard. It's hard because we only saw like a vertical slice of the game. But Did they not have. Um, does Fort Tarsus not have shops or something where you could get gear instead yes. of getting it out in the world? There are shops. Okay. But a lot of the stuff in the shops was placeholder uh, okay. uh, because they're just finalizing the in-game economy balance. And so they asked us not to specifically talk about like cost of items and things like that um, because it's still placeholder and they're just finishing the build. Obviously, um, if you guys were following any of the staff on Twitter this week, they announced that the game's gone gold. Uh, but we were not playing the final retail build of the game um, at EA. That said... Let's talk about customization <laughs> because obviously Bioware customization with characters has been a really big thing in both the Dragon Age and the Mass Effect franchises. And a lot of people were kind of up in arms about the limited pilot character creation. But I'm so glad that they limited that in favor of the expansive customization for your javelin. So they did a live stream showing a lot of these things. And in the build that we played, they also had uh, vinyls, which are almost like stickers in a sense or specialty patterns. So in addition to picking a variety of custom colors and, and textures for your javelin, which was so fun Can I to have do. a fuzzy javelin? You can have a fuzzy javelin. Oh my God. Wait, really? Like a shag? Well, I mean, I don't think you can put like actual like shag like rays, but it will have a different texture on it. Yeah. Um, but they had different wear states as well. So you can make your javelin look dirty. You can make your javelin look really shiny and clean. Um, and there's like six different wear states, I think. That's and then, awesome. of course, the different paint jobs, metallics, matte paints, cloth. All matte like, black, baby. I mean, there's all kinds yeah. of cool stuff that you can do, but the vinyls really brought the personality in, and that's clear that where they're where the microtransactions are going to be in some of that cool customization. But with how how awesome I got to make my javelin look, I was like, I'm, I'm so in for it. This is exactly what I wanted from Destiny's gear system, and they just wouldn't give it to us. They just were like, No, we got to lock each piece, and it was disappointing the way that Destiny changed the shader system. And I love how. 
how much freedom Bioware has put into the customization of the Javelins in Anthem. And on top of that, um, oh my God, I lost my train of thought. Can you customize your guns? Um, Not that I saw. Okay. But doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but I didn't ask about it. I would imagine with how often you're changing your guns, maybe not. But as far as I know, there isn't a way to customize your guns. Do they have? You ra- also do don't guns s- have rarity. Yes. So that's I think um, I remember that-, that from like their terrible trailer a few years ago, where they're like, "Oh my god, I got a legendary Adam." Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah legendary. Well, a lot of a lot of the more rare gear that you're going to get is going to customize your abilities in your javelin versus just your guns. But of course, there is ways to customize the guns as well. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The thing that I asked was, are there going to be gear sets in the game? Ah. Um, and they said, we're not talking about that yet. <laughs> Which means, yes. Which hopefully means yes. <laughs> but, yes, um, but we haven't outlined all of the details yet. So we are saving yeah. that for a different PR beat. Thank you for your Goodbye. question. Exactly. Goodbye. Um, I also asked him about clans and guild systems, and they said, uh, we're working on it, but not talking about that yet. Important to remember, Destiny did not have clans um, in the game at launch, or even in Destiny 1 at all, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. I think guilds launched. Maybe they launched with the Taken King? I don't remember. Somebody out there knows the exact answer to this. It's like, Andrea, this is when they launched. I just don't remember. No, Anthem doesn't have PvP at all, right? No. And it's something that I've talked to them about multiple times, and they're like, PvP is not part of our plan. They're like, we're going to wait and see how everything goes, and maybe down the road, if everyone's like, hey, PvP would be cool, we'll think about it. But cool. uh, yeah, no, it's a PvE design game, and um, playing with people was fun. Now, a lot of people have reached out and asked about, is Anthem, can I play Anthem single player? Technically, yes, you can play all of Anthem by yourself. However, you can't go out and do every item by yourself because there is automatic matchmaking for a lot of the quests that are in the game. But that does mean, though, is that you don't have to talk to anybody, but they will be playing with you. Now, how that's going to work with potential griefing, I'm not sure. I truly hope in a PvE game that there won't be people griefing just for the L-O-L-O-L-O, sake of griefing. Because you're really just hurting yourself then. But... There are trolls out there that like to watch the world burn. So I think they're going to probably, you know, keep an eye on it and be on top of it and hopefully implement some kind of reporting system if, you know, griefing is, presents itself as a problem in the beginning of the game. But from what I played, uh, the matchmaking was super easy, drop and drop out. There's, uh, you know, a friend system built into the game. Um, and you can favorite people in the game. And so when you're um, – we had a, like a favorites list. So if you run into – you know, random Joe 092 or whoever in the world. And you're like, hey, that guy was really fun to play with. You can like favorite them. So if you ever run into them again, uh, if you don't want to add them for your friends list, for example. So, yeah, I mean, the I game like you, but only in Anthem. <laughs> That's what that well, means. Well, maybe, you know, who knows? But yeah, the game looks great. It was super fun to play. I'm excited to jump back into the demo and play some more and for you guys to get your hands on it. But... I I just I think I'm really going to love this game. I think the biggest concern that a lot of people had was what about the end game and post game content? Like after I finish the critical path, what's next? And so I spoke to to Mike about that in our interview and of course a lot of it is like, well, 
You're going to have to wait and find out because it's going to be at launch or post-launch. So I would say don't worry about that yet. Play the demo. If you like the demo, buy the game. There I, think you go. I, I think that's don't. like enough said. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like there's plenty of material to keep you occupied at launch. Well, there's going to be anyway. I, it's From what I've about seen, 25 yeah. years to customize a javelin. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And then you can change. You can change your javelins. And they have this thing called the Forge where you go to customize your javelin. And then they announced, of course, the Launch Bay, which is something that was a much requested community feature where you're going to have a public space where you can walk around in with your squad mates. You can see each other's javelins and um, you can talk to vendors. Can and you so that's dance? not it. You can dance. So they, Hell yeah. We only got to see a couple emotes. They have an air guitar emote. And then, of course, they just had like the, the clap an applause emote and then a wave but there's a shop that is clearly gonna have emotes in it but like when i opened the shop it was all like the only one they had in there was the air guitar and then it was like a bunch of like placeholder images so clearly they're going to be selling emotes in the game i hope that they do some fun like references to their other games with them oh Oh. um uh mike told me the commander shuffle is going to be in there oh yeah oh my god (laughs) (laughs) that would be amazing yeah so hopefully we will see and he did say that there are lots of bioware easter eggs scattered throughout the world oh my god i wonder if egg will be there sam or what if we find an egg like a random egg just sitting in like like a fern what if it's just like i suspect you have questions (laughs) 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 and then you kill the egg and it explodes and then it gives you some legendary bullshit item. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. Oh, my God. Yes. Anyway. Well, this is really like exciting. That. I'm I want, excited. Oh, can you have a what? fur cape for your storm? The Colin um, cape? Yeah. I don't know. When I yes. was looking at the cape, the cape wasn't changeable. Oh. But that being said, they are going to have tons of gear pieces. They just didn't have them available in the demo that I played. Like, for example, like I tried to swap out my helmet and I couldn't because I didn't have any others in my inventory. And so I asked them, like, is it like one piece? And they're like, no, it's like mix and match. And so yes. there will be different types of gear, but they just didn't have them in this build. Okay. So I'm I'm excited that you're very even you're even more excited than you were. And that's a very exciting thing. So obviously we have these demos coming up, but I know a big concern has been from a lot of people, what is this game? Is this just another another version of Destiny? So do you think after these demos, because you know more about this game than we do, this will give people a more clear idea and set proper expectations as to what this game is going to be? Do you think Bioware is going to be able to market it correctly in this month to go? I do, because I think the demo is really going to help clarify what the game is for people. I think the... uh, after having played it several times now, the comparisons to Destiny just don't feel accurate the, because they're just fundamentally different games. And I say that because the story elements in Fort Tarsus is really what sets um, Anthem apart from Destiny. And here's how I'll break it down for people that have played both. Imagine going to the tower and being able to have a unique conversation with Cade where you get to have a choice in the conversation tree that you speak to him about. He'll ask you something and you'll get to choose how you respond to him instead of 
first off, not having a voice, which your guardian doesn't have, um, and then not being able to pick a branching path with that character. And it's not just Cade you'd get to have a relationship with. It'd be like Ikora and, you know, and the gunsmith and Zavala. Literally all of them you get to have an independent relationship with and have individual conversations with. And that's the big difference between like a Fort Tarsus and a tower. And that's really where Bioware is in this game. And it's not just like a generic third-person multiplayer shooter, they're really trying to marry their long history of rich narratives with an exciting new multiplayer experience that hasn't been done before. And so far, from what I've seen, it's really great. I love Owen, who is the cipher on your on your Strider. I think he's a really cool character. Uh, Mateus is a super like quirky, unique character as well. And there's a couple of other NPCs that I've run into. You're going to discover and meet people in the same way that you discovered people on the Citadel, in the same way you discovered people throughout the world of Dragon Age. And that's where that like really core bioware feeling presents itself in anthem and that's what i think is really exciting for people who have maybe never played a bioware game or for people who have maybe never played a a multiplayer shooter but love bioware's rpgs and i think that doing something different that we haven't seen yet and i really hope that it sees itself through we clearly don't know the scope of the story and how the story is going to take shape and if it's going to be everything we hope it's going to be, but we're not going to know that until after the game's out. So, but everything I've played so far is giving me really high hopes. I just am praying to the internet gods that they don't have server problems at launch because that would be the only thing I think that's going to really kind of tank their launch is if they have connectivity issues. Almost all multiplayer games do. I was going to say, I think they're going to. Right? But like, I hope people don't revolt against them and be like, oh, this game is broken and buggy and I hate it because they can't connect. I I hope that they'll give it a chance. That'll absolutely happen, but that always happens in vocal minority, right? Yeah. Jackasses. Exactly. Jackasses. <laughs> yeah, I've t- obviously talked ad nauseum. You guys are probably sick of hearing my voice. No, I am fucking <gasps> excited. Never speak again. No. <laughs> if you guys want to hear more, um, I am going to upload the interview with, uh, of course, that Mike, who I've been talking about uh, during the segment, lead producer Mike Gamble from Bioware. Um, and you guys can check that out as a little standalone mini episode in the podcast feed. Um, I think it might, by the time the podcast airs, I might have already uploaded it. We'll see how much I get done in the next 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> but check it out if you want to hear even more about Anthem. And on that note, it's time to take our final break of the show Irma before Gerd. Brittany gets to I get to talk a lot. you everything she wants to say about Resident Evil 2 Remake. So... Grab a beverage, get some popcorn if you're like Steimer, and we'll be (laughs) right back. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to the show. It's segment three of the What's Good Games podcast. And this week, our feature segment is all about... Resident Evil 2 Remake. We were just talking uh, during the break about Steimer's uh, cake and a cup obsession. 
I don't. Wow, you're upgrading me to an obsession already. <laughs> How about a <laughs> new endeavor, one. new interest? What? What would you call it? Oh, uh, I am experimenting <laughs> with cake in a cup. I was going to okay. call it a fetish, but that's probably way no, off. That's that's also off. I'm I'm giving it a go. Is what I'm doing. <laughs> so, what is this cake in a cup? I mean, it's legitimately what it sounds like. Like but- it's like a. Like a thing of instant ramen, but much smaller. Like a smaller, like a yogurt-sized like, cup. Yeah, like you put water in it, you, you put, stir it, and you microwave it. Yes. Ooh. It is microwavable cake. That does sound dangerous. And uh, I just bought one because I was like, I'm going to try this just for shits and giggles. And I bought a confetti pop one, and uh, it was really good. <laughs> it changed your life. I don't know. I'm not going to keep my house stocked with them, but I'm, you know... Okay, on occasion, may go out and buy one. Mm, mm. But I would eat the, I would eat them too much if I had them here. Anyways, you're drinking wine. What? Yeah, so I've been drinking a lot of red wine recently because uh, John and I are marathoning all seasons of Game of Thrones and lead up to the final season. Because I'm going to be on uh, Kind of Funny's Game of Thrones in review. And so I just wanted to rewatch them because I haven't rewatched every single episode and so we've been making our way through and i'm now to the point where cersei is drinking wine in almost every single episode now are you drinking alongside of her i'm trying (laughs) i i I took i took this last weekend off because i had as i mentioned at the top of the show i've been really ill and so i didn't drink for several days in a row as i was you know trying to nurse my body back to health and keep all of my fluids inside my body um and but uh the, today was like the first day that I kind of felt good ish, so I was like I'm gonna have some wine now. Yes, you know what wine is the color of blood. Yes, and you know, you know what, what there's a lot of blood. Blood, blood a lot. Zombies. 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 <laughs> I thought this was my segment. It <laughs> is yours. That's why we're that we, okay. Look, All right, Andrea Brit- and I needed to get a few words in because now you're gonna talk for forty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. Where and would you like to begin? Ah, I don't even know where to begin. Tell this us is the like... story of Resident Evil 2, but not <clears> literally. <throat> because... All begins in September 1998 when Leon Kennedy and Claire Redfield are going to Raccoon City for very different reasons. And upon arrival, they find that the town is overrun with zombies and other bioweapons. That's literally how it how it opens. So thank wow, you, Simon. That good. was a good segue. Good. Yeah. So this game came out in 1998, and obviously it was announced 2015, I think is what it was, and everyone was like, is this actually going to happen? This is kind of like the Final Fantasy VII remake of Resident Evil. Like, it, everyone's wanted Resident Evil 2. It's regarded as the best in the series, and it finally happened, and it's just so surreal to think that I've actually played it, and it's a thing that's out, and it's just kind of, like, crazy for me. So... Like I said, the game is about two characters that come to the Raccoon City. And now in the original, this is important for like prefacing this, in the original PlayStation 1 version, you have A scenarios and B scenarios. You have Claire and you have Leon. And the idea is is that you play through one scenario as one character and then you play through another scenario as the other character. And what that does is provide perspective and a little bit of insight as to what that character was doing while you were doing your main A scenario. Now you can do Leon A, Claire B, Claire A, Leon B, which I think is like the actual canon of the story. 
And so that's been brought back in this Resident Evil 2 remake, but to a lesser extent, because the zapping system that was in the original Resident Evil, which essentially means that your actions in your main campaign affect your actions in the second campaign. And that's not really the case this time around. So I made the statement that I think Resident Evil 2 remake is better than the original in every way possible. And some people, they they were offended by that. I'm like, why are you offended by that? Because, yeah. like... Don't you <laughs> want it to be better in every way? Isn't that the purpose of a remake? That's like the I've of said earlier in the show, gamers are creatures of habit. They enjoy the thing that they had once, and that's what they want. Yeah, it's like you just like to be angry about something that doesn't make any sense to be angry about. Because I think some of the arguments people are having where, of course, it's a remake. It's going to be better. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. That is not a guarantee that it will be better than the original. Because just because you slap a fresh coat of paint on something... You still have to manipulate that charm and kind of bring it up to speed while still making sure it holds up to the nostalgia that it had back in the day. I mean, this game came out in 98. That's a very, very long time ago. It was 20 years ago. So I just have a list of things that I think this game exceeds at, and I will just start going down. Can I ask you one question first? Yes. Because you were saying that um, now the, I don't want to say choices, but the impact if you will, from A scenario to B scenario, you said do not exist anymore. Right. Is that correct? Yes. Um, do you feel that that is a good or bad thing and why? You know, I don't. So this is the, the whole reason this is a, an important topic is because it brings up what's canon, like what actually happened. And to a lesser extent, that's relevant now in this remake. I don't think it really makes a difference. Honestly, I don't think it matters I think it was just were something the small because I, I obviously didn't. Yeah, play the they were small. So. It was like if you pulled a weapon out of a locker, it might not be there for your second character. If oh, that's you, kind of cool. Yeah, if if you defeated, or kind of terrible. I, I know, want all of the weapons I, all I, the time. I mean, you know what? Real life is terrible, Andrea. <laughs> Real life. If this you, is a video game. I'm aware of what it is. <laughs> if you defeated the gigantic alligator in your A scenario, you won't be able to do it in your B scenario. So it wasn't anything groundbreaking. It was cool, but I don't think it's something that's It just made it maybe necessary. feel a little bit more connected and cohesive as one world. Yeah, you could say that, but still some of it didn't make total sense either. Well, it's, it's right. zombies. And that's the thing is, <laughs> well, I mean, not only zombies, but you still had to do some of the same puzzles. It just, you know. Yeah, it is yeah, what yeah, it is. It's you. not a perfect system. And uh, the de- developers have even acknowledged that and been like, if we try to create two separate games, it just wouldn't have worked out that well. So, obviously, oh my God, I'm so excited to talk about this. Ah! Okay, so graphically, obviously, this game's a vast improvement. And when you look at how the whole, in- the environments as a whole, but most importantly, the zombies have been reimagined and recreated with the power that's available today, it's just amazing, especially with the physics. With the gunshot wounds. Now, in original Resident Evil, you had maybe two or three different types of zombies because whatever, graphical limitations, no big deal. But this time around, you find a wide variety of zombies, and they're so terrifying. The way they walk, and the way they moan, the way they bob and they weave, and when you shoot them, the way like their arms will slough off, or their legs will like, break in half, and Steimer's like, no thanks. No thank you. No thank you. So I, I agree. The, the physics yeah. is in the way the zombies uh, kind of... Um, decompose oh, is yeah. really excellently excellently done down to almost uh, almost like a ragdoll effect when when they fall over when you finally have killed them because you you have that hesitation of like 
is it actually dead right. now? Or is it going to come back to life? And then even when it is down, it'll magically wake up again because of this whatever super human healing of the, the virus or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Bullshit, so that was one of my... That was one of my um, favorite things, not my favorite things to do, but what I learned is if you slash them with a knife, like one slash, if they don't moan or groan, that means they're actually down. Because the the worst thing is, because you do a lot of backtracking in this game, and the worst thing is coming back and then having one of those little bastards like, "Ah," and then eat your leg, and then you're like, thanks for that, I really appreciated it. And again, like I, this is kind of the long-standing joke, but the details in this game and in every room, I feel like each room tells a story for what it should be. You know, if it's the press room, if it's the West office, if it's the library, you know, I, I will say in the very beginning when I first played the, de- the demo and saw it at E3, like, of course, I saw a small slice and I was like, oh, my God, the details are so amazing. But obviously, the more I play, I do recognize repeated you know, items and whatnot. But I still think they did an amazing job at making sure every room was did have that personal touch feeling. It wasn't like a room was just slapped together. And how the room stayed true to the old school, I don't think old school game, I guess that's what you call it now. The way that the room stayed true to that. And it's, it's just amazing. And I'm just so fucking excited about it. And I do want to like start out with saying I am obviously a, a diehard fan. And so it can be a little difficult for me to try to separate from that. And try, I try to look at this as objectively as I can, which is why, Andrea, I'm glad you've played. So you can hit me with some questions or concerns you have about it because I'm just like, oh, my God, over the moon. I'm just such a fan of this game that I'm fully aware that I might be a little biased. Did you well, unlock Tofu? No, not yet. But I'm working on it. Okay. Yeah. So I think that you should feel comfortable uh, reveling... Revel, reveling? Reveling? reveling reveling in your fandom because the game is fantastic um i never played resident evil 2 or any of the resident evil games like i've dabbled in resident evil at press events over the, my course of being in video games media never finished a game never even came close not my thing scared of resident evil games i was like nope not for me. And I was okay with that. But seeing your enthusiasm for this and having played it at a couple of different press events over 2018, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And thankfully, they have three different difficulty modes. So I chose assisted mode. And that is, is the that easiest mode. mode. It's baby ass baby mode. Right. And I was like, no shame. I'm taking I'm taking yeah. the easiest mode I can to get through this. And what I really loved about it is it it very clearly shows where um, Mikami started and where he went with the Evil Within series because I really enjoyed that series and um, that same kind of style of gameplay, even down to like the movement of the characters and the third person perspective was very reminiscent. And I was like, obviously, like he created the series and that's why it looks that way. Um, And so I really enjoyed the, the combination of the combat puzzles and exploration. It felt really balanced. It didn't feel like I was uncomfortably in these intense moments of combat all the time. Right. I did feel like I was comfortable exploring certain areas of the police station, not having to worry about a zombie breathing down my neck. Now, that said, of course, there are jump scares from time to time, but they weren't as plentiful as I had anticipated them being. So the game overall didn't feel as scary. Now, I want to make a caveat that I played all of Claire's story, which I played first, in a single eight and a half hour sitting (laughs) during the day. Daytime on a Sunday. So I started at 8 a.m. 
in the morning and then finished in the evening uh, where I rolled credits on Claire's story um, because I was just so enraptured in, in the narrative of what was happening. Now, my my biggest gripe about the game is that they don't give any backstory as to who Umbrella is, what the G-Virus is, where did it come from, who are these doctors? Like, There's just a lot of um, narrative setup that's just missing. And what I was talking to to Tim and Greg about it, and Tim was like, "Don't even bother playing the first game because it doesn't set it up for you." <laughs> he's like, "He's it's like, it, totally, you'll true. still go." Yeah, he's like, "You're still going confused," and he's like, "That's just a flaw of the franchise that they just leave a lot of questions unanswered. You just have to go in knowing that Umbrella is the big bad or whatever." Yeah, and it's worth noting when Resident Evil Two was being created, it was actually scrapped because there wasn't enough tie-in to the first game, and they actually hired and out of studio writer to come in and try to draw those parallels in which is why some of the the characters were scrapped like Claire suddenly became Claire Redfield looking for Chris's brother and it's totally a flaw because you don't know any of this stuff after Resident Evil it's just once you start two now there's this thing called the G virus and now there's this thing called the nest and now there's these Birkin folks who apparently created the virus you know just these things that aren't really touched upon but um so yeah, like going back to what you're saying about it being scary, there definitely are jump scares, but I think it's like you said, it's more about the ambient sound. So Resident Evil 2 on PlayStation had an amazing soundtrack for its time. You know, it was a 98 soundtrack full of like super like crazy orchestrated music, but it does. And I did play one of my runs through um, with the OG soundtrack and it just doesn't fit as well anymore. It's still nostalgic for me. Because the way the sound used to work back in the day was you had loading screens between every room and that loading screen was a door creaking open and it was fucking terrifying. But when that door would creak open, then the music would start playing, right? And then as you would leave that room, it would fade out. And then depending on what room you went into, then the next theme would start playing. But it just doesn't work that well, I don't think, with um, this remake because there are no loading screens, right? It's just like you just bust through the door. The doors feel like they're paper almost. So you just kind of like bust through. And it kind of felt like in, in Red Dead when if you're sprinting and Arthur you just, just oh, like yeah. shoulder <laughs> charges the door. Yeah. Almost yeah. like that. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so because of that, I think that's that why they think of like destroying the barbershop's door and then just being like, sorry, man. <laughs> There's glass all over your floor now. Sorry. Um, what's that? Oh yeah. So going back to the sound. So yeah, the OG soundtrack. It's fun if you play the you know the game and you want the nostalgia factor. But I think the new soundtrack does the game justice and it fits better. You know, instead of having the music, you have the creaking hallways, or you have the, you hear the sound of something being broken in the distance, or if you've met Mister X, the tyrant, you hear him stomping around. Jeez. Oh my god! So that guy <laughs> is horrifying. So uh, I I want to touch briefly on what you were talking about ambient sound. So this is one of the highlights of this game in the way that they very artistically uh, remade uh, the sound design in this game. So I at one point when I was searching in the West Office just stood there and I was playing. I played with headphones on for the yeah, majority girl. of my playthrough uh, because the sound design was so well done and like. The, the like random like pipe creaking and the sounds in the ceiling and you're like is that in the room with me or is yep. it not that really is what kind of builds the tension as you're walking through this super dark place you know with your flashlight out most of the time um it, it really can't be overstated um how fantastic the sound design is at atmospheric building in resident evil 2 um and 
I'm so glad you brought the tyrant up because I vividly remember meeting him the first time. I texted Brittany and I was like, who the hell is this fucking guy? Why is he chasing me? I don't like it. Um, it's like this 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 big bad enemy in the game and um, the music gets so intense as he gets closer and then when he's in the room with you and there was one point when I was running from him and I was running up and down the stairs in the library and and I had gotten to like the top level and I thought that I had uh, uh, lost him and so I like circled back went down in the library and then I heard the footsteps and I'm like oh my gosh I gotta get to the ladder (laughs) and I go to like put one hand on the ladder and he like grabs me from behind and I like screamed out loud I was like oh man (laughs) Um, and that's so scary yeah that's another interesting thing because in OG Resident Evil 2 you know that was a scripted appearance from the tyrant and he was um in the B scenarios and he would just show up you know in a certain hallway he would bust through the door and you would enter that next loading screen and go to that next area and then he would disappear he wouldn't be back but oh no, not this time, ladies and gentlemen. Damn he, it, I miss the days of old when I know, games I could process things and, on the screen. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of reviews I've read, people are polarized whether or not they like that or they don't like that. Because the idea is is that he spawns after a specific point in the game, um, and then he will just continually follow you. And now you can't kill him, but you can take him down with enough ammo to the face. He'll crouch down for maybe 15 seconds, and then he'll get up and he'll just start chasing you again. And everywhere you are, unless you're in a safe room or a puzzle room, one puzzle room I can think of anyway, you'll hear the stomp, stomp, stomp. And you'll hear him opening and slamming the doors around you it's, and like checking terrifying. for you. It's terrifying. Yeah. I, you know, I, know. I, I thought you wanted me to play this game, but now I'm thinking that you don't. <laughs> I can tell you when he spawns so you can get everything done before that. So, Andrea, what did you think about that? Did you like that or do you find it annoying? I mean, I... I didn't know what the mechanic was. And so I kept thinking, obviously when I first met him, I was like, when he approached me, because he's not a zombie, right? He's like some kind of a, he looks just like a really big security dude in some kind of a, a, like a trench coat and like a, like a weird fedora. Yeah. And, but he's got, he's super pale and he's got these like blacked out eyes. And I was just like, what the hell is this guy? And like, he's like, he's, he's like charging me in that really messing stomp. And I was like, wait, am I supposed to talk to him? Oh no, I'm definitely not supposed to talk to him. Is he a friend? No, 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 not a friend. Um, and so I, um, I just, I chucked a, I, the grenade launcher was my favorite weapon of the game. I use that all the time. Oh yeah. So I just like, I chucked a couple grenades at him and then of course he went down uh, on one knee and then I just like ran because I was like clearly like I didn't knock down his health and he's still alive and that's when I kind of discovered that I had to keep running from him and that I couldn't kill him mm-hmm. and I did find it really fascinating that when I was um, specifically in like after you're in the um after you're in the parking garage, when you get into the second half of the building, um, in one of the puzzle rooms up there, that um, he would stomp. He kept stomping around, but I I could tell the game was like, oh, no, you're safe in here. Yeah, you can't yeah. come in here. But then I was like, but I don't know which door to go out now. I'm like, is he just waiting for me out there? What do I do? Am I stuck in this room now forever? This is where oh I my live. God. Um, this is where I but- live now. Yeah, but what I do like is that I was able to nimbly avoid him by just being clever about how I was moving within the space. And I really loved playing as Claire, and 
I obviously am going to go back and, and play through Leon's story to see what happens there because I've heard that anywhere from like 60 to 75% of the level is different yeah. or the story is different or the way that it unfolds itself is different. So I definitely want to go and check it out. Um, but I, what I really liked about playing as Claire is that she feels like a really unconventional hero. You know, you don't really know a lot about her. She's going to search for her brother, who is clearly supposed to be like the the badass police officer or whatever, the stars he's part yeah. of, right? Um, and you don't really know. She has no reason to be tough, but she just is. And I really liked that about her and how she kind of is adapting and she's helping Sherry out right away. And like she like didn't even hesitate about helping this kid. And like her whole kind of mission is to kind of rescue this girl and, and make sure that she's okay. But also at the same time, she's like, you know, like, what am I doing? I'm trapped inside this weird art museum that's somehow a police station. And I'm like, <laughs> why is that happening? Um, I, I What I liked about the puzzle element of the game, because I, I – traditionally don't like a lot of that um too much puzzle based and like in tomb raider for example and i turn that difficulty slider all the way down because i much prefer the exploration and the combat um but i really enjoyed the puzzles i didn't think they were overwhelmingly difficult i don't know how the puzzles scale or if they scale uh, in the difficulty settings do you know brit um but it was the first time in probably 20 years that I pulled out a piece of fucking paper to write down the solution. I did that to, too. To something. I was like, do I have to? Okay, I have to go get a fucking piece of paper and a pen. <laughs> paper. And I'm like writing the shit down. And John comes over and he's like, are you scribbling answers to the puzzle on a piece of paper? I was like, yes, <laughs> leave me alone. <laughs> no, I definitely did that too. Because I mean, all, all the puzzle solutions are, for the most part, kept in your notes. But there's just something about Resident Evil I always write yeah. down. I have. I have like 20 pages of notes here, so like that's something I definitely did. And going back to Claire's story, I think that's another place where Capcom just really prevailed with this, is they made these stories so much more believable. It feels more, I don't know if grounded's the word I would use, but yeah, maybe grounded. And it, it's, because in the first one, you know, Claire meets Sherry, and then Claire's just like, hey, little girl, let me help you. And it's kind of just, you know, cut and dry. Like a lot of a lot of effort didn't go into the narrative in in that game, but in this one, they really took it and they expanded on it and in a really appropriate way, where it doesn't feel like it's derailing from the initial from the original dialogue. Instead, it's just expanding on it and it's like, oh, this makes more sense. This makes more sense for a game in 2019. And I think they did such a good job at that, um, particularly in some of the Leon segments, which I'm excited for you to play. Let's see. Um, what else do I want to talk about? Oh, the map. I want to talk about the map in this game. This map in this game is so incredibly helpful. And I, for some reason, I guess in the preview events, I just hadn't paid a lot of attention to it, but I, so I didn't appreciate it. But in the original Resident Evil, it was just basically a bunch of squares on a black background. It didn't tell you what rooms they were. It didn't tell you what items were in there or any of like that. And they wouldn't tell you how to open specific doors with the exception of sometimes it would color code some things. But this time, Steimer, I think you would really... You could really do Resident Evil 2. She shakes her head. She's like, what? no. What? No, no, that was more of a huh? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because what the map does is when you enter a room, because a lot of Resident Evil is puzzles. So every room you go into, you kind of have to look around, get your bearings, take note of what you see and what puzzles you see, and kind of keep in the back of your mind. 
And inventory management is a key part of this game as well. You're not going to be able to carry Ugh. everything you see with you at once. I hated that. I hate I hate artificial encumbrance, even though it's not encumbrance in this game, but like uh, you have to unlock inventory slots two at a time by finding extra hip pouches. And I was just like, you listen, I need to pouches? carry at least three green herb mixes at all times, even though I will say I never died. Yeah. from combat the only time i ever died in the game because i was really good at running away um <laughs> was um the part where you play sherry um oh. uh, is where i died but um i was very proud of myself that's very good look at you stud muffin yeah. Yeah. yeah so um yeah we can talk about that too but the map it's cool because you go into an area and it'll tell you what items are in there it'll mark it on your map so if you're like crap there is an herb and a flash grenade but i don't have enough room for it i'm gonna make a beeline back to my storage chest and then you can open up your map and know exactly where you have to go to go pick them up. Or if there's a key item or if there are locked doors that you need, it'll tell you what you need to open them, whether it's like a certain key or if you need a crank or a chain cutter. And that's something that's really, really helpful. And I think it makes the game more approachable because in the original Resident Evil, it was just a clusterfuck. You just kind of had to be good and know your way around and know what needed what. Um, and you just that's had to been. make your own map. You had to draw. Yeah, you did. And there's some good ones out there made in Microsoft Paint. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciated that they changed the color on certain rooms to let you know that, hey, you've cleared mm-hmm. this room. So there's like a, um, like a bluish teal color uh, for when you've kind of cleared everything from a specific area. And then other ones, it's red where it's like, you know, currently searching or whatever. That was really helpful, particularly for some of the puzzle elements to be like, I feel like I've been through this room a bazillion times, but I didn't find the thing that I needed. Um, and then the game would tell you, oh, hey, like you're done with this room or hey you're not done with this room you you should go back there Mm -hmm. Uh, which i which i really liked yeah but the uh inventory management i know that can be a real pain in the ass it's just like yeah (laughs) it's just one of those staples that and i think where it comes into play and where it really matters is you're like okay i have to go through these next three rooms how many herbs do i need it's the survival element right right but it can be a little uh pain in the ass especially when you get to a room and you're like i need this key and i have this key but i don't have it with me right now i have to go all the way back and pick it up and that's yeah but they do also have a visual indicator on specific items once you're done with them they'll give you like a little red check mark to be like you can dismantle this and don't feel afraid to because you're done with it now which was so helpful because otherwise i was just stashing everything in my like little treasure box or whatever (laughs) the magical treasure box (laughs) that teleports your items everywhere you go yeah, it's 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 wonderful. Video wonderful. game magic. Yeah, but I mean, just overall, just I am just so happy with how this turned out. And I was checking Metacritic, and I think it's averaging like between well, eighty eight on PC, but then PS four and Xbox, I think is like ninety two and ninety three. And I'm just so happy that everyone else seems to have really loved it. And I think what's really special is that folks like you, Andrea, can play this game and actually get a lot of enjoyment out of it, despite it not being your usual go-to genre, right? And I think that speaks volumes as to how well Capcom has done remastering this. And I hope it encourages them to remake other games and kind of go forward with this formula um, for Resident Evil 8. And I'm just so happy with everything they did. And I, I think it's really cool that they added new story beats to Claire's story and expanded upon some of the characters that... And actually, all the characters that are staples of this game, we see now, and they have more dialogue, they have more personality, they're more believable, and you get to hear sides of them that you haven't heard otherwise, because before they were just these like really wonky, blocky-ass characters that had hardly any personality. So uh, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled. 
it's just everything I wanted it to be. And I'm just really, really happy with it. <laughs> what did you think of Sherry's section? I was told that that's brand new. Yeah, so I don't know if you'd consider this probably not spoilers. Um, yeah, so there's well, this. I mean, uh, if it's I guess brand like new, yes, it is. Well, I mean, well, I can talk about thing. it in a way that's not spoilery. It's been announced. Yeah, and and also just as a clarification, this game is 20 years old. All of the story beats have been out for a really long time. So the story if hasn't you, changed. It's just this particular right. Thing that's, yeah, if so you've I, played. Go ahead, Brittany. Sorry. I'll say if you've played Resident Evil 2, you know how this game's going to begin and what events are going to go down and how it's going to end. Like that obviously hasn't changed, but they have added some new story beats to Claire's campaign, particularly with Sherry. It's been announced, so this isn't actually spoilers, that the orphanage is a new area in the game that you get to explore. That was something that I don't believe was ever touched upon before in Resident Evil 2. And you get to control Sherry, which is something you got to do in the original Resident Evil 2, but just in a different capacity. So. In the original RE2, you got to play as Ada and Sherry, but in the same section in in the game. But this time, Ada has her own section, Sherry has her own section, and they're both very interesting because they both do a lot. They they make you reflect on these characters and what life was really like for them, which is something they didn't have in the original Resident Evil. So Sherry's section is a lot of stealth running because you're like a 13-year-old girl. Like, come on. Yeah, you can't do a lot. You don't have any weapons. Yeah. No. And it involves uh, Chief Irons, who has a he's a very interesting, fucked up character, and that's nothing new. We've always we've always known that, but this time they really go into some deep, dark, nitty gritty details that you're like, "Wow, you really are a screwed up guy." Um, I thought it was I thought it was fine. I mean, I don't I'm not a fan of stealth stealth sections like that because I just feel so helpless and it gives me a lot of anxiety. But I thought, um, you know, it it was cool to see Sherry in her element like that, where I feel like she is a strong character despite her age. Um, I thought it was, you know, it wasn't anything groundbreaking. I liked, I liked the extra story it expanded upon and kind of showed more of Iron's crazy ass, but you know, so that's where you died. Is that what you said? Yeah, because, Uh, um, yeah, he found me or whatever. ah, Um, yeah, that makes me clench. Yeah, it was, it was nerve wracking. Um, was I supposed to meet Ada in Claire's story or is that in Leon's story? Leon's. Okay, because like I remember going through all like the because obviously there's like trophies and achievements, and I was like looking at all the things that I ticked off, and I was like, oh yeah, I never saw Ada. Was I supposed to meet her? Because um, there was one gun that I never picked up, and I was like, how the hell did I miss that gun? I went through every fucking room yeah. in that police station. Um, yeah, you definitely can't get everything on your first run. So speaking of that, because I got a lot of questions on this about the A B scenarios in this game. So they're no longer called A-B scenarios. It's You have your two main campaigns. You have Leon's campaign, Claire's campaign. And then after completing one main campaign, so if, or in my case, I completed Leon's. And then immediately after, I unlocked Claire's second run, which takes place of the scenario B. And then after finishing her second run, I immediately unlocked Leon's um, second run. And so that's, that's how it works. And for the most part, what? you know, the... <laughs> second run is supposed to provide it's kind of like what i was saying earlier the a b system zapping system where if you play as leon's main campaign you run into claire throughout your travel throughout your playtime. the the second run i don't know why they called it that it honestly doesn't make any sense but that's what they called it so whatever um shows claire's perspective of those events so let's say leon leaves. another one of leon's right so Right, so this is like the A-B thing. This is where it gets kind of cuckoo bananas. So if you play as Leon and you're in the Raccoon City Police Department, you will eventually run into Claire outside of the police department. 
and you'll talk to her. You'll have a conversation. If you play as Claire's second run, what you see is Claire coming to the police station and seeing Leon and having that conversation through her eyes. Mm-hmm. Because they both have their distinct interactions with specific characters. And so it tells those separate stories. Now, the thing to remember is, is that you'll do some of the same puzzles as Claire and Leon. If you're in a main campaign in a, in a second run, you're going to do some of the same puzzles. But things will play out a little d- differently. Um, so, for example, I did a Leon's main campaign. I ran to Ada. I did that whole thing. And then during Claire's second run is when I interacted only with Sherry and I experienced that story. You're going to have all the same story beats, but you're going to do puzzles a little differently. The solutions get changed up. So, for example, one of the puzzles, you have to collect three medallions. And there's a solution you have to know in order to collect those medallions. The solution for Leon's main campaign and the solution for the second run campaigns are completely different. So you can't just bank on what you remembered in the first one to help you with the second one. That makes sense. Got it. It's yeah, a no, little I weird. Fi- I figured I, I didn't find any of the puzzles to be no. like particularly mind boggling. The only they ones all, I had I, problems with were the ones that I had to like balance like the chemical fluid in that one puzzle where you had to that just, took me forever. <laughs> I didn't want to think about it. I just wanted to push buttons and see if it would work. And it didn't I actually had to think about it. Yeah, uh, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Um, yeah, the, the thing that I wrote down was like the uh, the portable safe. Oh, with all, with the way that the lights like light up, I had to like write down like the way that it worked because I was like, I can't remember all of this. It's too many. <laughs> it's too many things. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like but, I said, you know, I'm just I'm just really really happy with it, and I just hope this does really really well. So Capcom, you know, is encouraged to continue making games like this, and because the reviews, I think, speak for themselves. But reviews are one thing; sales numbers are obviously another. And I want to emphasize how impressed I was with the story and how well it's held up over 20 years later um, and just how really kind of masterfully they unfold it throughout the different beats. And obviously I haven't played Leon's side of it yet. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how it really fleshes out even more. But they do a lot of great world building with different items that you can find and notes around the world, emails, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I like how one of the keys that you find is like a USB stick and how clearly that's different than the original was. And just like little touches that really show the care and the time that the team put in. And this is really what the the definition of a true remake is versus a remaster, right? Like we talk about explaining that that difference all the time and how it so often gets confused, how a remaster is just taking the bones and putting a fresh coat of paint on them, whereas a remake is fundamentally building it brand new from the ground up uh, while keeping the narrative structure intact. And I think that Capcom should be applauded. Now, I know it may seem like I talked some smack about it after E3, one game of show. I still don't think it should have won game of show. That said... I am incredibly impressed with how well done this game is. And if you at all are contemplating it, I would urge you to check it out. It, it's it's really good. I was very impressed. Yeah. And I think it's important to know because a lot of folks, you know, are, have been hitting me up. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't like horror games. They freak me out. And it's definitely a freaky game. It's more atmosphere than anything. And, of course, the zombies are terrifying. But the main focus of this game is exploration and puzzles and the freaky atmosphere is just kind of, you know, some an added touch that I personally appreciate. Steimer would argue otherwise. She's like, why can't uh, this be held in a... That 
I played that demo for 30 minutes and screamed like 10 times. So <laughs> I will say not all On- of those screams were earned, but <laughs> honestly, the, the demo was probably one of the more gruesome parts of the game. Um, quite frankly, the only other section I can think of that was just as gruesome was maybe the sewers, mm-hmm. that one section in particular. Um, but, um, I think it's great. And so, like, there's not too many boss encounters, which is nice. Like, there's only like a couple of really heavy combat sections. Like Britt said, it's a lot more exploration based. And you know what? Play it on baby ass baby mode like I did. You'll yeah. enjoy your time with it. Trust me. Oh, yeah. Brit, should- um, are you going to go back and do like a de- hard difficulty run? Fuck no. What? Oh, seriously? No. no, here's the thing. I love me some Resident Evil. And I could tell you anything you wanted to know about it. I am bad at shooters. I am bad at accuracy. So let's talk about the difficulty. So there's assist mode. And assist mode has obviously aim assist. So when you're aiming your, your weapon at the enemies, your little dot will follow them as they're bobbing and weaving around because that's what they do and they're hard to get get headshots you also it says you regenerate health but what i think that more means is that you can take a few more hits before you drop down into caution and the enemies are just overall weaker you'll still have to dump maybe five to seven rounds in their head sometimes to take them down total other times you'll get lucky and you'll score a critical hit and their heads will explode and make an oozing sound and it's kind of the best thing ever Ooh, fun <laughs> Yeah, and then there's normal mode, which is your typical normal mode. Um, it's worth noting that both easy and normal have auto saves. I heard someone say that normal mode has a scaling difficulty depending on how good or bad you're doing. I'm not sure if that's true. That's not yeah. So when I got to the end of the game, mm-hmm. I got a grade B because I saved 37 times, and I didn't realize I was being penalized for saving. If I had known that, I wouldn't have saved as much. I just like out of habit was like, well, I'm at a typewriter, like save. I'm here. Why not? I don't want to like randomly die doing something dumb and have to go back and do that puzzle all over again. But if I had known I was being graded on it, I wouldn't have saved that many times. Jeez. <laughs> but what I does mean, it, it matter to you, Andrea? Yeah, and that's kind of an interesting I don't know. Point. Maybe because they put a letter grade on it, and I had this thing in high school, which we talked about on a secret segment one time, oh, where I can't get Bs, and then I got a B, and it gave me some, like, it gave me some palpitations, okay? <laughs> and then Resident <laughs> Evil was like, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's a and then there's hardcore mode, which uh, obviously enemies are more difficult. There are no, uh, no auto autosaves, and instead you have to use ink ribbons, which is akin to traditional Resident Evil games. So... Steimer's like, what the fuck? So throughout the game, there are typewriters. And this is how you would save back in the day. You would collect collect ink ribbons, and then that would allow you to ink save the game. Ink ribbons. That's what you're yes. saying. This makes sense. Okay. Ink ribbons. It's because, you know, you know, 1998. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in hardcore mode, you have to collect the ink ribbons to save your game. So because some people are like, I didn't want auto saves. I'm such a badass. It's like, calm down. They thought about you. You can now get <laughs> murdered and killed all over again tons of times. That's what you want in life. So if I am, no, I'm not saying I'm going to play this. I did say I was going to play this game and yeah, I re- I'm regretting it a lot. I didn't say how long <laughs> I was going to play this game. So, you know, oh, but, Sandra, don't let me uh, <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, you have to come here and hold my hand. I would happily do that. Come stay with me for a few days. Cause I'm scared. Uh, as you can see again from 30 minutes, um, would I just go through Claire main and Leon main or, do I have to touch the second runs or no? I'm glad you would ask. Yeah. So 
I would obviously recommend assisted mode, obviously, because yes. you are able to clear all of the rooms of zombies with plentiful ammo. I mean, plentiful as long as you're smart with it and you're making headshots. And with assist mode, there's no reason why you shouldn't be making headshots. Yeah, there was uh, only like one or two times in my entire eight and a half hour playthrough where I was like really low on ammo. But for the yeah. most part, like you find enough gunpowder laying around to craft ammo. Yeah. Um, you can do, you can start with any main campaign you want. If you're only going to do one true run through, I would suggest Leon or Claire's main campaign, obviously, and then hopping immediately into a second run. I wouldn't recommend doing two main campaigns back to back because they're going to play essentially the same. You're going to do the exact same puzzles in the exact same order, meet the exact same people. I mean, with, with differences to, you know, those specific campaign characters, but, uh, the second run changes up the puzzles a little bit. Items are located in different locations. Some doors are locked that took you maybe an hour to lock unlock in the first one in the main campaign. And you'll get all the same story beats out of it. Got it. And that's after you finish the second run, you get the true ending, which expands on... Because uh, you have to play the whole n- thing again? Or you just mean it's a true ending like it... Shows you so, scene. so Resident Evil is known for its really short and shitty endings in the sense that it just leaves you with more questions than answers. And so once you play the main campaign, unless my game bugged out, my ending was literally like 10 seconds long. And I was like, well, that's usual. That's typical. And then when I did the second run, my ending was maybe like five minutes or so. And then I got the achievement after a true ending. Got it. Or the I little see, like the in-game record completion thing. Um, so that's how I would do it. So lengthwise my first one took me 10 hours but that's because i was gawking at everything and clearing every room and looking at all the toilet paper andrea how long was yours um eight and a half hours okay and now it's because i spent a solid 20 minutes looking for a ladder on one balcony because i kept getting I, i knew i had to get back to this one area and i couldn't figure out so i like ran through the whole place like three times with the fucking tyrant chasing me the whole way being like i'm just trying to find the right door and then i finally like noticed this icon on the map and i was like is that a ladder outside and i was like god i didn't realize that (laughs) use your map kids so i probably could have gone faster (laughs) my first one was 10 hours my second run with claire was seven and a half and then my third run with leon was like four and a half hours so you can really whittle it down once you know all the combinations and whatnot but Got it. Yeah. Got yeah. It, got it, got it. Wait, so, do, but I thought you said canon was Claire first. Technically, yes. But in this case, the... the Ooh, so I did it the right way. That, huh? So I did it the right way. You did it the right way. Yeah, girl. But yeah, in, in the remake, it doesn't really matter because you're going to get the same story no matter what. Like, nothing's really going to... So the whole reason Claire's is canon is because something that happens in Resident Evil 6 regarding Sherry, who is now an adult only happens technically in Claire's campaign, a campaign. Mm. But this time around, you're going to get the same exact story beats. Because what they did is they took all of the best elements from the A and B scenarios and combined them into each campaign. So it's, yeah. Good to know. Thank you, Brittany. You're welcome. I just want to talk Resident Evil all day, every day. Everyone hit me up with your questions. I'm here for you. Just fly down this weekend. Fly. Actually, I'll talk to you after the show because that might work out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Resident Evil. I'm just so happy. Good, I'm so happy. good. I'm glad I'm you're, happy you're happy. And and the game looks great. Uh, the animations look awesome. I was playing on an Xbox One X, and it looks like gorgeous. Everything looks wet and dewy. The <laughs> lighting, the lighting, and the reflections on everything is crazy. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, the lesser she said pillow hasn't made an appearance in a while. Um, it, it, it looks great. Yeah. If you're hesitating, don't. And if you're like me and you were scared, it's not so bad. Play it in the daylight. Mm-hmm. And don't play it with headphones on if you want to minimize the fear. It's actually play a it. really, really good tip. Like, it sounds like you're dub, but it's re- a really good tip. Yeah, like, play it with just your TV audio. And they have, in the settings, you can tailor the audio for how you're listening, whether it's, like, Dolby, Atmos, so 7.1, or TV audio or headphones, which is a nice touch. Um, and, uh, you know, play with a friend, you know, and, and just baby-ass baby mode it. Because I think the story is, is really great. So, on that note, let's put a pin in this. And oh. maybe you guys will play... And maybe we'll get some questions. And then, of course, you know, we're going to revisit this once this new mode is released that we talked about in the news segment. Oh, yeah. Oh, also, speaking of other questions, I took a lot of questions from our patrons and folks on our fan page on Facebook, and I answered a buttload of them. And that video should be out tomorrow. By the time this podcast is out, it'll be on our YouTube channel. Oh, look at that. Wonderful. Um, well, thanks, ladies. This is a fantastic show this week. Um, next week, as we mentioned, we're going to be having special guest Alana Pierce uh, from Funhouse back on the show. Um, I'm sad to be missing her, but you guys will have a great time. There are two more embargoes lifting next week. Brittany's flying down to play a game with me. I don't know if we can say what that game is yet. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, keep an eye on our social channels. We'll probably be tweeting about it. Yeah. Um, and um, as I mentioned uh, last week, since they moved the embargo, um, I did get to play some more Rage 2. So we're going to have to figure out how to get my impressions for that in the show next week. Lots to think about. Hmm. Write me a long letter and I'll pretend to be you. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so we like to be Red British Wigs. Australian. Oh my God, I'm Andrea Renee. I played Rage. I hope that you use that accent with Alana next week and I see the look on her face. Yeah, <laughs> she loves me unconditionally. Dude, Alana and I do weird accents all the time. She'll be down. Yeah. Perfect. Oh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, this is the What's Good Games podcast. We would appreciate your love and support. Maybe you drop us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Maybe you hit that subscribe button at youtube.com slash what's good games. Uh, maybe if you want to go a step further and you want to help financially support the show, you click on one of our fantastic sponsor links from either MeUndies or Smile Direct Club this week, or you go to patreon.com slash what's good games and get in at the ground level and get exclusive streams exclusive vlogs and so much more in our custom tiers wherever you support the show thank you so much we heart you until next time have a fantastic weekend everybody and we'll see you later bye